Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Th that's enough. Thank you. Hey, Mr. Real, how are you doing on this beautiful evening? I'm doing so good. The amazing Radio Free Mormon. The incredible, hang on. No, that way. Bill Real. The incredible <laughs> Bill Real. I've still got to figure this out. It's like Mirror Mirror from Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, I, I had to look at my artwork in the back and the desk and stuff and go like, oh, yeah, uh, that way. Let's just way. do it opposite. Yeah. Some people do go both ways. But, but, and I, yeah. guess what tonight is? Sun's tonight, going down. Gen Con and some Roman numerals. Actually, I was referring to Passover. Oh, that's it's an important holiday in Mormonism now. <laughs> yes, it is. And by the way, in case you missed it, last Sunday, it was Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, yeah. It was like everybody the and their palms. dog had to mention that in general conference. Uh, it's also Mike Parker week. Mike Parker week. Tell me about... Do you want to even talk about that at oh, all I'm right happy now? I mean, to, you brought I'm it happy up. happy to briefly mention it. Get those guys a little more excited. I thought it was Richard Nigren month. It, it, well, no. It, <laughs> fact, it's kind of hard to celebrate a made-up black apologist in Birmingham, Alabama, which is what a group of white apologists did. Are these, these can't be Mormon apologists. No, this would be Mormon apologists. Yeah, this would be uh, Robert Bolin, Spencer Krause, Daniel C. Peterson, Stephen Smoot, and Michael Parker. Yeah. Well, a guy with the name uh, Spencer Krause would never do anything racist, would he? Well, some of these guys are connected very directly to Richard Nigren. And some of these guys are much giving a little bit more of like cover for Peter Pan and the Mike Parker connection. But it all goes together. And we're going to be expounding on that probably in a few days. Okay. But Peter Pan is a real person. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm Just saying Richard that Nigren. Mike Parker set himself up to be Peter Pan for about two years and uh, ended up true. getting exposed as Peter Pan being Mike Parker, except in the meantime, these guys decided, uh, one or more of them decided that it would be a beautiful thing to create a fake persona of a black apologist named Richard Nigren, who resides in Birmingham, Alabama. Hmm. Okay. That seems like a smart decision, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm still stuck on the part where Peter Pan exposes himself. <laughs> well, yeah, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. Look the other way, I hope. So things that happen in Neville Neville land. Yes. Well, this sounds very interesting. I know that you are hot in pursuit of the culprits. Oh, the we're done pursuing. We are ready to rock and roll. The, the slideshow's ready and all the lines have been drawn. That's great. I'm really looking forward to your podcast coming up, exposing the real people behind the mythical uh, black apologist from Birmingham, Alabama, Richard <laughs> They Nigren. even gave him a place that he resided. Doesn't that seem ridiculous? No, that's what we call verisimilitude. That's where you throw out inconsequential facts in order to make your fake story appear more realistic. Mm, it didn't work so well. 
Uh, oh, no. But you know something? We've got people saying, is this cra-? I got to tell everybody, that's not what we're talking about tonight. I hate no. to disappoint everyone. No, I just wanted to tease it just in case they all tuned in, shaking in their boots. Mm, okay. As well, they should be. All right. But let's get on to the real stuff. In addition Gen to Con. coming into your former place of employment, demanding to see you in threatening lawsuits. Yeah, we've got the audio on that, too. And it also helps, <laughs> it also helps point out some new facts. Oh, yeah. And contradictions. I'm excited about that. Yeah. All right, my friend. It's all you. Yes. It's all me. Holy all crap. You. Well, if it's all yeah. me, I need some help here. Kit, I want to tap Maven. Maven, are you there? I am here. Yes. Wow. Maven, it's so good to have you back with us. You have put, taken all these clips, you put them into their wonderful glory, their paradisiacal glory, even together with <laughs> um, what is it? The words that come up as they're speaking them. What's that called again? Subtitles. Subtitles. Yes. Okay. It just confuses <laughs> me when it's English for English speakers, right? But yeah. that's okay. This is great. Um, what we wanted to do. I've made them ho- bigger too. I just hope just for more, you know, ease of access, you know, for those that that need them. So yeah, hopefully you guys like them. Today? We used to call them blind when I was a kid. What do we call them? Well, now? I this might deaf. be this is an ADHD thing, but I'm hearing impaired. subtitles a lot. I'm not hearing impaired, but it's almost it's really difficult for me to watch certain shows if I can't also see what's being said. It's just a weird thing. I know I'm not the only one. I'm sure other people in the comments can <laughs> can agree with me if they're yeah. the same way. Start anyway, agreeing in the comments, folks. That's your yeah, cue. start agreeing, please. Maven needs some validation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't have to make there been any comments up. about my t-shirt yet? Um, yes, yeah, someone asked if you got the Gambit shirt. So you have been sent a shirt. Have I really? It has not arrived are we gonna, yet. So. Are we... Okay, so we've got Spider-Man today. Maybe next Is that week Spider-Man next or the Amazing Spider-Man? That's just you... Spider-Man. Okay. This was the original Todd McFarlane cover. Gotcha. He took over an, as artist on a new series just called Spider-Man. I'm pretty yeah, sure that's the true. robot says Back captions. Yeah. Maybe that's a better than subtitles is captions. Yeah, so, that was Spider-Man yeah. number one, as opposed to Amazing Spider-Man that had been going for <laughs> well a long time since 1963, I think. Separate and independent. This is from the 1990s, I think. Okay, well, enough geeking out over comic books. Let's get to general conference because we as post-Mormons, we pay more attention. The general conference than the believing Mormons. And that should tell you something. It means yeah. that the believing Mormons really need to up their game. That's what it tells me. Not because just if that, they paid- if we have more background information. We understand more what is going on when things are brought up that the believers just have no clue about. Well, that's certainly the way I was for most of my time when I was watching general conference. No clue about every now and then they would say something that sounded like it was talking about something more than just what they were saying, but I had no idea what it was. So now mostly um, they're talking about me, so I know what they're talking about. <laughs> when they're talking about don't listen to social media influencers right. or podcasts. Yeah, I know what they're talking about now. Yeah, historical accuracy is what they want you to stay away from. Yes, just listen to them. Just trust if them. If it's not faith-promoting, right, right. Yeah. Well, we're, we're starting with the Saturday morning session. Now, by the way, we're going to focus on um, Sunday morning here a little bit later, but we have to hit Saturday morning session because we had a visit in general conference from one of the cast members of Green Acres. If we remember that 1960s popular uh, sitcom, uh, Green Acres, it was mi- Mr. Haney. Do you remember him, Maven? Mr. Haney? I have no idea what you're talking Bill? about. Bill, help me out here. You remember Mr. Haney? He would talk like this, Mr. Haney. 
No, I thought maybe you were going to say Mr. Hanky Poo, and I knew who that was, but Mr. Haney, I don't know. Well, this guy pulls a total Mr. Haney in a number of places. His name is Elder Haney to make the coincidence complete. And the first thing that we have him saying is, uh, what is he talking about? Oh, there is a water bottle story. Now, this is remarkable because he he seems like a very nice guy. By the way, I checked him out. He's a lawyer. Okay. Huh. That's about a ninety percent chance. Lawyer, because he's a seventy now. <laughs> we'll see how long he's a seventy after this talk, because he may have some unpleasant surprises in his future. But it had to get past correlation. But he said the darndest things in general conference, and here he gives a talk about or a story about the first presidency. You've got President Nelson, you got President Nelson, you got President Iring all sitting at a table. I know it sounds like the start of a joke. Well, it is, and he's going to tell the rest of the joke here because when you get all three of the first presidency together, miracles happen. All right. Day I walked into the cafeteria at church headquarters to have some lunch and after getting a tray of food, I entered the dining area and I noticed a table at which all three members of the first presidency were seated along with one empty chair. My insecurities caused me to make a quick detour away from that table that's the cool and then I table. heard the voice of our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, saying, Alan, there's an empty chair right here. Come and sit down with us. And so I did. Near the end of the lunch, I was surprised to hear a loud no, crunching noise. I thought it was President and Nelson eating celery. And when I looked up, I saw that President Nelson had stood his plastic water bottle straight up and then flattened it and replaced the lid. President Dallin H. Oaks then asked the question I wanted to ask. President Nelson, why did you flatten your plastic water bottle? He replied, it makes it easier for those who are handling recyclable materials because it doesn't take up as much space in the recycling container. While pondering that response, I heard the same crunching sound again. And I looked to my right, and President Oaks had flattened his plastic water bottle, just like President Nelson. Not to be and outdone. And then I heard some noise to my left, and President Eyring was flattening his plastic water bottle, although he had adopted a different strategy by I doing it while it was horizontal, obedience. which took more effort than with the bottle straight up. And noticing this, Is President Nelson surprised that Iring couldn't do it right? the bottle straight up technique. <laughs> he probably cried. To more easily flatten the bottle. At that point, I leaned over to President Oaks and I asked, is flattening your plastic water bottle a new recycling requirement of the cafeteria? And President Oaks responded with a smile on his face, well, Alan, you need to follow the prophet. <laughs> That's very funny. He doesn't say, number one, that he squashed his water bottle and he didn't even say if he had a water bottle because I got to figure he was probably chugging some Coke at that point. <laughs> what do you Can think I? of this? We have all three members of the first presidency together. This is a story that should be something. I mean, we've it got seems to like a Three the Stooges three. skit to me. Just some kind of, you know, where you, <laughs> you got your main character, you've got the loyal sidekick, and then you that you've got the doofus over there sniffing glue. You know, like it's and I the just, one telling the talk. Weird, yeah, like <laughs> monkey see, monkey do. President Irene playing the part of Curly. Yeah, it was weird. My 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 first thought is this seems to be a lesson in blind obedience, doesn't it? Like no matter how stupid the thing is, no matter how pointless it is, always follow the prophet. So number one. 
And then my only other thought with this is just a really short water bottle story. And, and if we're going to save the planet, if we think about it for a moment, use common sense, all across the entire world, there are water bottles that have small amounts of water still in them because somebody doesn't drink every single last drop, right? And you put the lid on, you throw it in your trash can, and it gets taken away by the uh, trash company to the landfill. And now in this present modern world, there are billions and billions of water bottles with small amounts of the world's uh, potable water inside, right? Even potable. Closed, and closed off with lids. <laughs> Potent potables and, are 200, Alex. Or, well, whatever you say. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm and sorry, my point, no, You're good. My point being is that if we really are going to say like, here's a profit, I'm just going to tell you, putting the lid back on your water bottle and throwing it away with any amount of trace water in it, you've now trapped that water in that water bottle in a landfill for who knows how many years until that water bottle deteriorates. The reality is if he was really a prophet, he would tell the whole world to take the water to the lid off, leave it off so that the water can evaporate. And so the amount of water on our planet that can be uh, used uh, would be left to a greater amount than it is by putting the lid on and throwing it away. Uh, but he's worried wow. about the recycle company and maybe I find he's, your lack of faith that. disturbing. I don't His think him flattening of the where these end up. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot it, of water It'll help bottles. make the mountain a little bit smaller if you crush them. Now imagine every one of those with the lid on, like President Nelson does, with a little bit of water inside. No one will ever drink that water again. I think we should just burn them all. Might that be would take care of the problem, plastic. It? That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like the, the tire pile at uh, Springville. Springfield. Yeah, so that's that's all I had about that clip. It was just weird to me. Just I know weird. because you know oh, it's just worship. like the Old Testament prophets. Uh, Moses parted the Red Sea, and President Nelson crunches a water bottle. It's <laughs> the same. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. But he oh, was definitely yeah. he didn't want to, he didn't feel that he was worthy to sit at the cool kids table in the school cafeteria, but he gets invited over by. Uh, what the quarterback and the student body association president, Russell Nelson. So he has to sit there and he's honored to be there. And so he tells this story, but this is it. This is, this is, this is general conference. Okay. This is prime time. This is as good as it gets. If he had a better story, if we had better stories about the, the presidency acting in concert, I think we would have them, but no, we're left with crunching water bottles, but he's not done because there's more. Mr. Haney actually goes on. Let's see what he talks about next. Uh, he talks about, oh, he helps us understand the age-long, age-old question of when is a prophet speaking as a man and when is a prophet speaking as a prophet? He solves this issue, this dilemma for us, finally. Knowing by revelation that there's a living prophet on the earth changes everything. It causes one to be uninterested in the debate about when is a prophet speaking as a prophet or whether one is ever justified in selective rejection of prophetic counsel. Such revealed knowledge invites one to trust the counsel of the living prophet even if we do not fully understand it. After all, a perfect and loving Father in heaven has chosen the pattern of revealing truth to his children through a prophet. Someone who never sought such a sacred calling and who has no need of our help to be aware of his own imperfections. 
A prophet is someone God has personally prepared, called, corrected, inspired, rebuked, sanctified, and sustained. That's why we are never spiritually at risk in following prophetic counsel. Okay, so he's got it all in there. We are never, ever at risk spiritually in following the direction of counsel or counsel of living prophets, right? It doesn't make any difference what they tell us to do, whether it's right or wrong. This is the modern incarnation of the old story told by Marion G. Romney about Heber J. Grant, that you do whatever the prophet tells you to do. And even if he's wrong, you will be blessed for it. Going back to the original question about when is a prophet speaking as a prophet? The answer is, it doesn't matter. Because once you know you've got a prophet at the head of the church, like we do with President Nelson, it doesn't matter. We, we become uninterested in the question of whether he's speaking as a man or speaking as a prophet, because it doesn't make any difference. We just do what he says, and we're never spiritually at risk for following his counsel. Maven, you were speaking earlier, but I didn't hear what you were saying. I wasn't, but... <laughs> oh, well, you, like I thought your mouth clip? was moving. I mean, yeah, I do weird ago. stuff with my mouth, but no. So the only thing, so when I first was listening to this, I initially heard I, what I thought was, uh, I guess, um, commentary on how people like us will often bring up really problematic things that past prophets have said that kind of indicate that maybe they were speaking as men, but he actually isn't. That isn't who he's talking to. He's not us, and he, that's not the situation he's talking about. He completely skips over those kinds of things, and he he really just focuses on it's not okay to bring up a past prophet to try to, uh, words to uh, override a current prophet. This is for believing members who might be bringing up, I don't know, Ezra Taft Benson maybe, just a guess. Um, and so... Yeah, I just I thought it was interesting because, of course, he doesn't address that. So my question is, if we go back in time to really problematic sayings from problematic prophets and we don't have the benefit of knowing that future prophets are going to sort of walk back some of these things that are said or at least just say new things that are going to automatically erase those things. Um, right. What what does that mean for people in those times, like, like with the priesthood temple ban um, on black members of the church? It doesn't matter. That's what he's saying. But it does. It, it's a it was a really horrific thing that really impacted people's lives. You know, there was a large segment. Well, maybe not a segment of the church, but um, but it's a, a segment of the church whose membership could not get the blessings that were promised to white members, regardless of how spiritual they were. So, yeah. It, it, so it's just really flippant, I think, and ignorant to say, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when, you know, it's when when people kill themselves because of doctrines of the church or because of things that our, our leaders are saying it fucking matters it does and yeah. it, it matters when they're speaking as men so that's all i have to say on that i was gonna put up here on the screen let me let me go sit here and do this let's go so I created something recently where I, I talk about all the positions where the church established a position and then abandoned it or reversed it, right? The idea we used to get a planet, we don't anymore. Used to know where the Garden of Eden was in Missouri. Now we're not so sure. Oral sex was bad. Then we weren't supposed to ask about it. The restoration was restored or near complete. Now it's the beginning of an ongoing restoration. Birth control was taught as contrary to the teachings of the church. Now decisions about birth control and consequences of decisions rest solely with each married couple. Uh, prophets taught that homosexuality 
was caused by masturbation or people were born or not born that way. It was a choice. Uh, 10% of surplus versus 10% of gross. Earth was 6,000 years old. Now it's billions of years old. And I'm just on number eight. And if I scroll down, I mean, it's a hundred. Oh it's a, no, sorry, 59 of them that I wrote down. Right. And these are all, some of these are really serious, right? We used to have free agency. That was a, a principle, an eternal principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we have moral agency where you're forced to do what Jesus tells you to. Um, all for this whole list of 59 uh, items where the yeah. church has changed is exactly why it is that Mr. Haney is giving this talk and saying it doesn't matter because there is no way out of this. This is a, an absolute painting into the corner the church has done to itself. So now <laughs> the answer to get out of the corner is, well, it doesn't make any difference anyway. Because as long as you know, you have that witness that he received when he saw David O. McKay on TV between cartoons, which is what he starts off with his talk with. You have this feeling that you got a prophet. Boom, that's it. That's all you need to know. Now, the really interesting thing to me is you remember that David Bednar last year gave a new idea, which, well, actually, he's been giving it for more than just a year. This is one of his common themes, is that um, if you're worried about the feelings and impressions you're coming to you being from God or being your own feelings, the answer is quit worrying about it. That's his answer because there's no answer. So quit worrying about it. Just do everything we say and you'll be fine. Now, when you link that to this statement by Mr. Haney, which is quite similar, don't worry about it. You get the wonderful teaching that if you know by the spirit that the president of the church is a prophet, then you don't need to worry about whether he's speaking as a man. And as to the issue of your witness that he's a prophet that you got by the spirit, whether that's coming from the spirit or whether that's coming from inside of you, Elder Bednar says, don't worry about that either. So this is the point we're at in the theology of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 2023. Don't you feel like the members of the church are being told this right now in conference because the church has say, changed so quickly in the last 10 years? And I think they're also giving you the heads up that this is going to keep up. We're going to make this church something completely different than it was in the 1980s and 90s and before. And so you all got to get ready. You're going to have to learn. I think to Alyssa discard. nailed it. I put up her comment. Um, it says, stop thinking and just obey. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think the church has changed. Yes. Um, as I was saying just before I was doing something with my mouth, Maven, um, <laughs> you know, I do funny things with my mouth too. Uh, but... We didn't say it. We did. We... <laughs> <laughs> but but how just... many ways? Okay. It's like, say, when the how do you how many ways can you say when the prophet speaks the thinking has been done without saying when the prophet speaks right. the thinking has been done? Yeah, these guys really just want you to be a blind follower of Mormon leaders, and they don't want you to think. They don't want you to cross-examine their words against the words of leaders in the past. And, and it gets worse. We haven't even gotten to the best clip. Can I give my obligatory Shakespeare quote? Mm. Yon Cassius has a lean and hungry look. He thinks too much. Such men are dangerous. Yeah. It's true. Okay. So, but he's right, not done yet. Three? Yes, there's more. Right. Mr. Haney, you Brothers know, and sisters, he should have been starring. Vintage comic books. And oh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Uno momento, por favor. Uno momento, por favor. Brothers wait. and sisters. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Thank you. Now, now I won't stop. Talking. I thought we First, were ready. I thought that was the key. I know, I know. And you're so great. But this is what excited me so much because, you know, Spider Man, I love comic books. This is the first time I remember 
a person in general conference talking about one of my very favorite subjects. I think we all thought of you, RFM. <laughs> for this line and i even went back and rewound it and listened to it again to, just to make sure i heard correctly that this is actually what was being said okay are yes. we ready now uh, i am yes, finally i am finally to a point where i think most believers would be better off if they just read the comic books Okay, go ahead and play this and while you're doing Friends that i'll just sisters, talk to myself unlike vintage yeah. comic books and classic cars Prophetic teachings do not become more valuable with age. That is why we should not seek to use the words of past prophets to dismiss the teachings of living prophets. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. You know, sometimes I get amazed when they actually say the stuff that I know they're thinking. But he has no filter. Mr. Haney has no filter. And I love him for that, actually. I appreciate it very much when they say the truth of Mormonism as it really is. So here is the latest Hulk comic book, okay? Teachings of past prophets, I'm going to have represented here in my original edition of the 1830 Book of Mormon <clears throat> replica. Okay, so here we've got here. Now, Hulk or Book of Mormon, past prophets, which is more valuable according to Mr. Haney? <laughs> well, obviously, hello, it's the Hulk. And by the way, this was written not only... Not only drawn, but also uh, written by our good friend, Ryan Otley. Mm. He's taken on both of those things for the last few, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, comic books in this series that's going on. I won't bore you with the details, but it's great. Grab it at your local newsstand while you still can. He just told the Book us of Mormon, don't comic worry about. books are more valuable. Isn't that The insane? missionaries need to be going door to door with comic books. Yeah. Did you guys, you guys probably saw this from Sherry Dew in the past where she says the very opposite of what Haney just said. This is what I mean about the church is changing so quick that a young Sherry Dew uh, now has her words be completely obsolete. We know why we're here. And we have from prophets ancient and modern an extensive set of instructions that never become passe or grow outdated. So the key is to follow the living prophet. Brothers and sisters, unlike vintage comic books and classic cars, prophetic teachings do not become more valuable with age. That is why we should not seek to use the words of past prophets to dismiss the teachings of living prophets. They are contradicting themselves. They are contradicting themselves everywhere. Well, that wasn't compromising. That last little bit there. Yeah. However, however. No, we talked about this last night, and I told you this morning. My take, yes, they're contradictory. They're at polar ends. They're absolutely contradictory. And the beauty of it is that typically, at least myself, as a believing Mormon, I believed both of those things 100%, even though they're diametrically opposed to each other and they cannot exist in the same universe. I made it work. Thank you. Yeah. Right. I just put up another comment from the sister of Jared. Uh, that's just a woman talking. Pay no mind to her, which is true. Women have zero authority in the church. So she's not somebody that can erase, you know, past things. So um, Haney just automatically has um, higher uh, authority and, and jurisdiction here. So we can ignore Sherry Dew. Well, like I, we can I ignore try to any ignore woman her as in the much church. as I'm able. <laughs> she uh, makes it hard it's, sometimes. It's <laughs> why did we go? Why did we go 10 years studying the teachings of the presidents of the church? If the moment they die and the new prophet's in, if he says anything 
that disagrees with them. And then also we go like, okay, well, Nelson's the living prophet. So what he says is true and what Hinckley said is false. But soon as Nelson dies and somebody else takes over, now Nelson is obsolete. And now we listen to the new guy. And it almost makes me wonder why in the hell do we have prophet seers and revelators at all if they're only good for about five to eight years until they die. And, and then their words become obsolete and untrue. Well, they don't become obsolete until someone contradicts it. So they're, they're still good technically. Uh, someone, yeah. <laughs> it's like you, we need a black marker so we can cross out those, the stuff like as, as it becomes outdated when somebody new says something different. Yeah. Right. And they will never say that they're saying something different. They'll just say the something new and hope nobody notices. And of course, if you follow Mr. Haney's uh, rule, then even if you find it out, then it doesn't matter what somebody it previous said. It doesn't matter that President Hinckley said Mormons fine to call us Mormons. We just need to make it shine with added luster. Don't even worry about it. Doesn't make any difference. No, you're right, Bill. Why do we have leaders of the church as prophets if we if they have a shelf life on their say on their teachings that is about as long as shrimp? I stole that, by the way. It's also illogical. Like the idea that somebody's words are true while they're alive, but then when someone else says something different, the eternal truth that was true 10 years ago is now a fa is a false, disavowed you know, theory. It, it makes it essentially that prophets are only good during their lifetime. And then you have to go back and look at each one of these guys and go, what did they give you that was really that prophetic? And really the answer is pretty much nothing. It may surprise people, but 50 or 60 years ago, the teaching of the church, the theory of the church, whether it was actually practiced, but this is from the writings of Joseph Fielding Smith and Bruce R. McConkie. If you look up the article, Standard Works in Mormon Doctrine, which I know is not sold any longer at Deseret because, you know, it's gone. It's the past. We don't have to worry about what he said anymore. But if you look at the Standard Works article, you'll find that the reason the standard works are called the standard works, according to Bruce McConkie and his father-in-law. The reason why is because they are the standard by which all truth is to be measured. And it doesn't make any difference who says anything. If it's, if it's a member of the church, if it's your bishop, state president, if it's the president of the church, and he says something that is not, uh, that is contradicted by the standard works, then the standard works apply. That's why they're called the standard works. Now, I think that was a lot of theory probably more theory than reality, but at least there was the idea that church leaders and presidents were tethered to something, that there was some sort of constitution that the church followed as far as truth goes. And you couldn't say something contradictory to it without being, hey, you're out of line. We don't need to follow that. We can disregard what you're saying. But now we've entered this strange new world where not only are the leaders of the church completely untethered from anything that governs what they say. They have carte blanche to say anything they want. And according to this rule, it's okay. It doesn't matter what anybody said before, what their position was in the church or how recently it was. You go with what this person is saying. They're untethered and not responsible for what they say. And we'll get to, they're also not responsible for what they do anymore when we get to Sunday morning. What does this say about God? I mean, if God is the is in connection with these top 15 men. They're prophets, seers, and revelators. And if God is consistent, eternal, unchanging, what does this say about their ability? What does this say about either? It's either, what does it say about God in terms of his clarity of de 
declaring his mind and will in a way that we all can have some consistency? Or what does it say about prophet seers and revelators who seem to struggle deeply to attain to whatever God's consistent, eternal, unchanging doctrine is? It seems like they're self-admitting they're actually not very good at discerning God's mind and will. Yeah, God is acting like a person who changes his mind every time a new president comes into place. He seems weird. to. Huh? That's so that weird. weird. It yeah. is weird. But, but that's I, because he respects like their agency said, so much. Yeah, I like what you said about us being like in this new era where everything is untethered because technically, I mean, I mean I'm just thinking about when I was younger and I really did think that everybody or everything fit in, that there was some kind of a cohesiveness and there, there wasn't. And I really started to notice on my mission, I think as I was trying to prepare study lessons and I was trying to make, uh, you're based on conversations I had with people, trying to use the scriptures to come up with like really solid reasoning for some of the reasons why we believe the things we believe. And it, I started to realize it wasn't always that clear. Um, but that took, a, that was, was a lot of intensive study for me and the teaching, trying to figure out how to talk about the church to outsiders. And I, it's so contradictory today. I just don't, it's, a, it's pretty amazing that it, it can be seen and still ignored by, by so many members of the church. But there was a lot that I was ignoring too, I think even, even at that time. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Are we ready for the next one by Carl B. Cook? Yep. By yep. the way, Carl B. Cook, this is a bit of an extended story. It's about four minutes long. It's worth every second of it. I couldn't believe it as it, I was listening to it live. Like I did all the sessions this past weekend and put up episodes about them. But this one really, really started bothering me about halfway through. And I think I'm going to let you watch it and see if you can understand why. I think it will become apparent. But this guy, Carl B. Cook, he looks a little bit goofy. He looks, he reminds me of Gomer Pyle. So I think Carl B. Cook, USMC, Shazam. should be the name of the talk. But he's got Boyd Cape Shazam. Just don't start singing the impossible dream, oh, okay, Bill? So he's very expressive. So he's fun to watch. He seems if like you were such a nice guy. You didn't see his face. He's such a yeah. goofy guy. And if he is uh, Gomer Pyle, then Boyd K. Packer is going to be playing the role of Sergeant Carter. All right, we ready? That was a great introduction. Thank you. More than 20 years ago, I was unexpectedly called as an Area 70, and I felt very inadequate. Following my training assignments, I was to preside at my first state conference. The state president and I meticulously planned every detail. Shortly before the conference, President Boyd K. Packer, then acting president of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles, called to see if he could accompany me. I was surprised and, of course, agreed. I asked how he would like to proceed since he would preside. He suggested that we undo the plans and prepare to follow the Spirit. Dick, move one. Thankfully, I still had 10 days to study, pray, and prepare. With an open agenda, we were on the stand 20 minutes before the leadership meeting began. I leaned over to the stake president and whispered, This is a wonderful stake. President Packer elbowed me gently and said, No talking. Dick moved too. <laughs> I stopped talking, and his general conference talk, Reverence Invites Revelation, came to mind. I observed that President Packer was writing down references. The Spirit confirmed to me that he was receiving impressions for the meeting. 
my learning experience had just begun. President Packer spoke for the first 15 minutes and emphasized the importance of conducting all meetings as guided by the Holy Spirit. He then said, we'll now hear from Elder Cook. On my way to the pulpit, I asked how long he would like me to take and if there was a topic he would like me to address. He said, take 15 minutes and carry on as you feel inspired. I took 14 minutes and shared everything I had on my mind. President Packer stood again and spoke for another 15 minutes and shared this scripture. Speak the thoughts that I shall put into your hearts, and you shall not be confounded before men, for it will be given you in the very moment what ye shall say. He then said, We will now hear from Elder Cook. Dick move three. I was shocked. I had never considered the possibility that I would be asked to speak twice in one meeting. I didn't have anything to say in mind. Praying fervently and relying on the Lord for help, somehow I was blessed with the scripture, a thought, and I was able to speak for 15 minutes, but I sat down totally exhausted. President Packer spoke for 15 minutes about following the Spirit and shared Paul's teachings that we should not speak words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. As you can imagine, I was overwhelmed when he said for the third time, we'll now hear from Elder Cook. Dick, move four. I was empty. I had nothing. I knew it was time to exercise more faith. Slowly, I made my way to the pulpit, pleading to God for help. As I stepped up to the microphone, the Lord miraculously blessed me to somehow give another 15-minute message. The meeting finally ended, but I quickly realized that the adult session would start in an hour. Oh, no. Like Zoram, I sincerely wanted to run, but just as Nephi caught him, I knew President Packer would catch me. <laughs> the adult meeting followed the very same pattern. I spoke three more times. Dick moves. The Five, next six, day, and seven. During the general session, I spoke once. After the conference, President Packer said with affection, Dick move Let's eight. do it again sometime. Questions to you, priesthood holders. Um, All right, thank you. As a, as who, maybe you've presided over things, you know, and so I just, I, I probably just don't understand because I just don't, I just don't have the proper um, members, I guess, or body parts to have this. But anyway, I. It's called I just, power and authority. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, does I thought the, does the Holy Ghost only work on demands? Can the Holy Ghost not work for you? By preparing in advance like he said at the beginning he still had 10 days to try to to come up with something so yeah so i i just wonder why they can't follow the spirit in planning and all that needs to go out the window so you could just follow the spirit in the moment Thoughts? no it can it certainly can depending upon who's giving the talk and what point they're trying to make because you've got to study it out in your mind right before the holy ghost will enlighten you but here um what uh, Elder Packer is doing is boundary maintenance. I mean, he's pissing all over this guy's leg and saying, I own you, pal, and making an absolute fool of him 
in front of the leadership meeting and then in front of this, uh, this other with the, the general membership in this other meeting, I think is what he said. The adult, the adult meeting is what it was. Yeah. He's just showing him that he's the top dog. He comes in as the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And this guy, it's his first meeting ever. I mean, look at the guy. Uh, don't you? I, I have a heart for this guy. I mean, my gosh. And he's going to say, okay, so you've got it planned down to the minutest detail with the state president. Okay, that's all scrapped. And now we're just going to follow the spirit. Here's Boyd K. Packer. He's given a billion talks in his life. If not, okay, maybe a million. But this is nothing for him. He's already planned it out. He already knows what he's going to talk about. He just gets up there and does it. And then he gets to get the dig in on Elder Cook every single time. And I thought, okay, look, here, here's here's true stories time. Okay, true confessions. Yeah, if I were President uh, Packer, I might have done this. I might have done it once, okay? And possibly twice because I'm pretty mean and I can do dick moves too. But honestly, at the, by the third time, seven times, seven, I mean, I know. And it's just like, what a dick. Yeah. When this talk is published in the Leahona next month, the title of it needs to be Boyd K. Packer was a dick. Um, some people have severe anxiety when they go into things unprepared. Some people don't get up in front of groups well and speak. President Packer got to choose how that meeting went. So President Packer got to choose whether he was prepared or not to do it, but he got to be deeply rude to another human being who may have had other things that President Packer wasn't aware of, such as high anxiety or the fear of speaking in front of people, for instance. And just because people believe in the church and they step forward to do the things they're called to do doesn't always mean they, they feel really healthy about it. And to do what President Packer did could have caused to the wrong person could have caused a lot of serious trauma and harm. Look at this guy. He has high anxiety when he is prepared, yeah. when he's reading from the teleprompter. Yeah. Which is another funny thing, because as many times as he quotes Elder Packer talking about following the spirit and the different scriptures that he quotes, I, he did not do that for this talk. I guess One he didn't learn his lesson. Yeah. But I had, I had Packer's another thought. Ghost. And someone else actually put it in there. I, what if this was like early onset dementia and Packer just kept forgetting <laughs> that he'd already gone up because he's still talking about the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's, I'm not saying that that's what happened. Okay. It, it's totally possible that he's being a deliberate dick, but if he wasn't, he was. this is the kind of system we've got set up in this church that he, he literally could be going through dementia and, and repeating three times because he's literally forgotten and then doing it the exact same again in the next session. And the exact, that would change nothing about this story. Mm, yeah. It, well, people would still be like, wow, he was so spiritual. Like there was really something I need to, to learn from that. And not the fact that he, you know what I mean? I'm just saying it could be possible. I'm not saying that he is. Or, no, just you know, waiting the story, I would have to him. say, it's not like there's no other time when Elder Boyd K. Packer acted like a dick. <laughs> right. But I'm just saying there's no, it, it could be in the throes it's hard of to dementia. Stage manage he could a say something bear. like nonsense and people would be like, there was something to learn from that. It, that that's just how we are if, in the church. I hear you. It's hard to stage manage a grizzly dick, like Bill said. <laughs> if Elder Oaks <laughs> thinks you're an asshole, you're, you're probably an asshole, right? Because <laughs> Elder Oaks is the one who told Steve Bennett, there's nothing we can do. You can't stage manage a grizzly bear referring to Elder Packer. 
Yeah. And that's, of course, when he was interfering with the state president over Abraham Gileadi's disciplinary council. Which Abraham Gileadi was, when you look back, I mean, that guy was soft and subtle. Who the hell cares what Abraham Gileadi did? I'll also say this too. September 5 just didn't have the same ring to it. No, I know. I know. But he got to, he got this fellowship and then brought back in immediately. The other thing too is in a system that when you get into the top 15, you take on the apostolic charge. These guys have got to figure out who will do whatever they say and who's going to give resistance. And so I only imagine that when you start to get into the higher rankings of the 70, or you become a president of a church school, or you go, you are, you become a mission president, that there are now mechanisms in place that push you past the edge where most people would stand up for themselves and push back. And they figure out how to find that small group of people who will do whatever they're told to do, no matter how unethical it is, no matter how unhealthy it is, no matter how dishonest it is. And that way they can figure out who to put into the top 15. By the way, also notice this theme, which will come up later, is that no matter how big a dick your leader is in the church, it's your job to go along with it, to not remonstrate against it, to not call it what it is, to not take it up with them and say, hey, um, boy, why are you such a dick to me today, right? You go along with it. Whatever the leaders do, they are not to be criticized, okay? And this is all, by the way, for those of you who are getting this in a time capsule from 100 years in the future, this is all happening in the General Conference weeks after the story broke about the SEC investigation and finding that the first presidency had actively engaged in filing fraudulent documents with the federal government over 20 years in order to hide how much money that the LDS church had in the U.S. stock market. Cook looks at this story and he laughs about it and he remembers it with fondness of some sort. He's exactly the kind of guy they're trying to find. He still doesn't it's know. Not, he still doesn't I did realize. This on my mission. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying he still doesn't realize that no. what, what an ass Boyd K. Packer was making of him. He sees it as a faith building experience because he had to really draw on faith because he had nothing to say. So he sees this as a learning experience from somebody yes. higher and smarter than he is. And that way it's like so Gomer when, Pyle. Go ahead, Nathan. Yeah. When I was a new missionary, there was, you know, it, the classic thing happens where like the person, um, you know, somebody who was supposed to speak in sacrament didn't show up that morning or whatever. So the go-to is ask the missionaries. And so my companion I'm brand new. She asks me to do it. And I freak out because I'm like, I, I, I'm not prepared. Why don't you do it? You've been out here longer. You know, I am like really freshly a few weeks in. And she says, I, I, and she was a great companion. She was not a hazer kind of person at all. She was wonderful as a trainer. And so what she told me was, she says, I, 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 I'm, I think she might've even said, I'm really not trying to be mean or be a dick. She might've even said that, but the girls she say said that? This, yeah. And she okay. was cool. She was cool. But anyway, she said this, this happened to me when I was new and it was a great experience. So I really, I really am wanting to give you this opportunity to, to go and speak and, and you'll do great. Like you can do this. Right. And so I did, and it worked out fine. And I was just like, wow, that was amazing. And when I got same thing happened when I trained a, a new companion and I gave her the same talk, I said, I know it looks like I'm just trying to slough this on you. Cause I don't want to do it, but this literally happened to me 
it turned out great. And I want you to have this experience because you can do it. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a positive thing. Like, it's just, it's just, you know, I, I do, I do think our intention, both my trainer and my, and me, you know, to my trainee, we really did care about each other. I think that was missing from this story, but I just, it, it made me think of this like exact thing happening on the moon and it getting passed along. Yeah. And, and like I say, if I had done this and I would have been tempted to, it would have been a funny gag, right? To do it once, maybe twice. But if I had done this once, okay, to Elder Cook and Elder Cook had said to me, hey, why are you being such a dick? I would have stopped and said, you're right. I'm wrong. I apologize. Yeah. Because the <laughs> first time, it was, even though I might have done it, and even though I yeah. might have thought it was funny, it was a dick move. And by the time you get to number six, we've gone far into dick territory. I was going to say, you wouldn't do it five or six more times. No, my gosh. <laughs> it's not even funny on. at that point anymore. It's like, like a little kid. If it's funny mistake. once, it's funny a hundred times. It's bad enough when you go off script once. I've been in meetings. We did a state conference once where we stayed in our local ward and it was being broadcast to our ward because we were the furthest ward from the stake. And we had this, a member of the stake presidency. Same guy I was telling you about today, by the way, RFM. We had a member of the stake presidency. And the rest of the stake presidency and the rest of the stake was at the stake center. And the Sandusky Ward and Bishop Real and uh, President Anderson from the stake stayed at the Sandusky Ward. The technology failed. And it ended up where he said, hey, Bishop, you and I will each give a talk and we'll just have like a mini state conference right here in the ward. And I loved it because I love speaking in front of people. But there are lots of people who would have panicked in that moment where they think they're going to watch state conference on a screen. And they're being asked to go ahead and fill a half hour worth of time talking. This guy had to fill like an hour and what, 35 minutes or something, right? Seven times? That's seven times 15? I don't know. You got a same key there? But we haven't talked about the guess audience. It's 70, 105 minutes. 105 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a waste of the audience's time as well. Like how many people were there? I, a couple hundred maybe? I, there was only... I, I, Yes. Well, actually, with Packer coming, there was maybe maybe a little bit more of a draw because Guns. of the apostles coming. But like, it's just it's a waste of everybody else's time when you're deliberately not prepared, or you deliberately yeah. make sure somebody else yeah. isn't prepared. And sometimes well, things like this turn out okay, Bill. Like I, I've I've been able to to go off the cuff, and and I've had people compliment me for for the lesson that, that it went great and, and, and things can magically come together and sometimes be more perfect than what would have been prepared anyway, but not always. Sometimes it's a major, major drag. And when someone's just casting around for something to say, I mean, I hope it, I hope it benefited the people there, honestly, but it's, it's, a, it was a, not just a dick move to Elder Cook, but to everybody there and the presidency and the leadership that had done all of these plans. It was a dick move to the entire stake. And you're probably Good starting point. to notice a theme, huh? Like there, again, we're only two speakers in, and yeah. you're already starting. I hope to notice a theme. Um, it, it, yeah. By the way, I don't think these messages are just to the believers. They're also turning the other way, and they're facing the other members of the fifteen, and the other members of the seventy, who also, over the last few months of deep issues of being unethical might also be having questions and thoughts about how this church is going. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's clear from the story that uh, the only person that Boyd K. Packer was concerned in any of those meetings was Boyd K. Packer. Yeah. Yeah. Are we ready for Elder Gong? I think we are. Elder Gong 
tells, uh, whenever I say his name, I always think of Chuck Barris for some reason. But Elder Gong, uh, known to his friends as Mr. Charisma, gave an interesting story. <laughs> ah, gave an interesting story. Because here's the thing, okay? Since time immemorial, it has been a custom among the Mormons to fudge the numbers on the home teaching reports. I've done it. Bill, you've done it. Maven, you get a pass. <laughs> I texted yes. somebody. I'd be like, that counts. I did that before they said it counted. So that everybody knows, even if you're not a member, what happens is, is that you're supposed to do your home teaching. You get assigned like five families. You're supposed to contact every month and you're supposed to contact them. And at the end of the month, there's a person in the war that you're supposed to report your home teaching to. And you know, you're supposed to have visited all five, but say you visited two and maybe you tried to call one or two. And so you end up reporting four. It is a time-honored custom to fudge the numbers, even after they change home teaching to ministering, which is the same thing, except not as hard. So this is what he's going to be talking about now. For the first time in general conference that I have ever, ever heard that I can recall, the fact that there's this fudging that's been going on since forever is going to be mentioned in general conference. It's going to be mentioned by Elder Gong, though kind of in passing, he's going to mention it with kind of the implication that you guys need to get your acts together and quit lying to us on your 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 home don't, teaching or yeah, ministry reports. reports. In some places in the church, we have a ministering gap. More say they are ministering than say they are being ministered to. We do not want checklist concern, but more often, we need more than a sincere hello in the hall or a casual, can I help you in the parking lot? Okay. Can I play the next clip I have, RFM? I want we... you to do that. Go ahead. I just wanted to say that the thing that cracked me up about this before I get, my first, my first uh, thought when I heard this was thank you for identifying it. But here we have a leader of the church. Once again, the SEC background tells everything because what he's doing is saying, don't be filing fraudulent documents about your ministering stats with us. We're the ones who file fraudulent documents with the federal government, okay? So what is good for the goose is not good for the gander. This is a rule for thee and not for me kind of talk. But I love what you came up with, Maven, when you heard about this because you linked it to something else that had happened on Mormon Stories not too long ago. Right. So I took some clips from it. Um, but I also wanted to say this is another example of someone saying the quiet part out loud or accidentally revealing the true nature of the church, um, just by showing like how casually and shallow uh, a lot of these interactions, these assigned uh, friendships are turning out to be. And everybody knows it. So just a little thing there. But here. Um, so this is I guess I'll give a quick preface. Um, John DeLynn on Mormon Stories had a sitting Mormon bishop contact him about fudging numbers. And I had totally forgotten part of it. This is going to be at the end of the clip that I pasted on there uh, as to why this was happening uh, in, in this Mexican uh, stake for the beginning of the year. So here's the, here's that clip. And so what you're basically saying there is, do you want us in January to complete all the uncompleted interviews? Uh, do you want us to complete all the un unreported, uncommitted interviews in uh, in 2023 for what should have been done in 2022. Um, you know, is that what you want us to do? Is that what you were asking? That's what I was asking. Yes, that's yeah. correct. 
um, and then go back into the system and change the fourth quarter reports uh, for for interviews that happened in 2023, right? Exactly. Yes. Okay. And then yes, I'll, read, I'll, I'll go ahead. It was like backfiling whatever happened, right? Like yeah, back then, backdating the interviews. Ba backdating, yeah. yeah, backdating. That's the correct word. Yes. And then I'll read what the state clerk wrote. He wrote, eight percent is enough." And yes, please record those on Q4 2022. So that's pretty explicit. That's the state clerk saying, "Fud, you know, perform perform the interviews." in the current calendar year, but go back and fudge the records in Q4 and update them to look like those interviews happened last year for some arbitrary goal of 80% that the area president was was wanting to share up the line. Is, is Am I getting that right, Obispo? That's correct, yes. Okay. And, and just to explain just really quick, area presidency in Mexico, they are seen as the representative representative of the first presidency like bishops stake presidents they all have to go through this there's no like calling to salt lake uh you know complaining yeah you have talking, to go yeah. through the area presidency usually um and you know area presidency there who represent the the first presidency in mexico there's three of them they're all from the first quorum of the of the 70 it's the area president that's saying lie mm -hmm. right and that's the whole problem. I mean, the, the, the big problem here is dishonesty. And, and it doesn't matter how big or how small the dishonesty is or, or the lie is, it is the same uh, remaining issue, right? That you're asked to be dishonest. And that's what got me. Because then now I am not only like serving as a bishop, giving my time, I am also asked to lie to mimic numbers or, or to, to do whatever thing, which is not correct. I work with data. My job is on data. If I do this in my work, I would probably get fired. I would surely get fired. If I have to tell you some context on what is happening right now in Mexico. Okay. Right now, as we are speaking, Elder Gary Gong of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles is here in Mexico. Gong? He's actually uh, visiting some cities in northern Mexico during the weekend. And uh, he has been to Mexico City. We actually had a uh, devotional for bishops last Sunday. So he's here. What I know because of uh, the information that has been shared with me from my stake presidency is that he's going to be checking on some numbers, deciding on some uh, boundaries for wards and stakes. And he's going to be here to pretty much give, uh, you know, the apostolic uh, approval to that, to those changes. So what i felt at that moment is like okay then the area presidency wants these numbers to be higher or wants to be more than 80 percent because they know that a member of the quorum of the 12 is going to come to mexico and he's going to be directly asking them about these results so that's the reason why they are why they are pushing uh all the leadership stake presidents area 70s whatever to get these numbers up right I totally okay. forgot that part until I went so back, I'm, and I was just like, "No way!" That's it's, perfect. It's Gong. Yeah, and he's the one giving the talk. So, yes. Gong, if I'm understanding this correctly, Gong, Elder Gong, goes to Mexico to do something down there, and everybody in Mexico is scrambling because they want to put their best face forward to this visiting apostle and have high stats. Right? We're righteous. We're obedient. These are stats that measure our obedience. 
And so the person under gong who's in Area 70 is pressuring down to get people to file false reports so it looks good for Elder Gong. And then Elder Gong goes on the gong show, otherwise known as General Conference, and he upbraids the members at the bottom of the food chain for filing false reports. Did I get that right? Yep. It, it, RFM. It's so you, common. When we were on the phone earlier today talking, I mean, you said it sort of a, a little bit ago when we first started before this clip, but again, to say it uh, again, you said on the phone to me, you said they just got in trouble with the SEC filing fraudulent reports. This is the very first general conference after that. You would think there would be a little bit of like, we're sorry, we're really bad. And instead, they're shaming the members for filing fraudulent reports. Yes. Okay. But All right. I, I think you've got that exactly right. Really strongly, I I feel like I feel like, maybe I'm wrong here. I I feel like what he's talking about is just kind of the normal kind of fudging that that members because you feel guilty that you didn't do it, but you got four out of your five or whatever, and and maybe you like waved at the other fifth one like driving by, so you'll you'll say that counts. I did it. You know, I I don't think he's talking about what was being explicitly discussed here, where you're you're coming down from the leaders to tell you to fudge the numbers because he's going after the members um, for for not being sincere in their ministering. That's what he's going after. So people are asking, did he see this Mormon stories? And that's why he's saying what he said. I don't think he has. I don't think he knows because I think he would have given a slightly different talk. I think you're right, but. Uh, he had to have been living under a rock not to have heard about the SEC debacle. Oh, yeah. No, that went, he definitely knew about. <laughs> that went nuclear just a few weeks ago. And apparently yeah. he's he can't see the irony of demanding that people not file uh, fraudulent reports with the church while they're busy doing the same thing with the federal government. Right. This church, you, you've said this line, Mormonism makes liars of us all. And it does. It, from a very young age, when you are a kid, and you're touching yourself as part of a normal development of growing up. This church teaches you to either not talk about it, or if you do, we will make you feel shame in front of the entire congregation. When you are a missionary getting ready to go out, whatever little things you've done, it, it wants you to either be silent about it and pretend you're worthy, or if you say these things, we are going to shame you and, and hold you back from going on a mission on time. This church teaches you from the moment uh, when you're a kid in primary it starts to instruct you that if you do not want to feel shame, you should lie and cheat. I was telling you uh, a story when you were on the phone with me this morning that uh, the same stake member of the stake presidency he used to be our bishop. Now he's a member of the stake presidency. He was in charge in a stake leadership meeting that all the bishoprics were at to instruct the class on, or the room on home teaching and to uh, encourage them with some pressure to get their home teaching numbers up. I was his bishop. He was the bishop in my ward before he became a member of the stake presidency. Now I'm the bishop. He's in the stake presidency. He hasn't done his home teaching for years. He is shaming the entire room for not doing their home teaching. And I smirked. And my first counselor smirked. And when the whole thing was over, he came up and said, Bishop Real, I saw that you smirked. I'm going to guess you did that because you know that I haven't done my home teaching. And I said, yeah, actually, that's exactly why I smirked. And, uh, and he said, he said, it's as my job as a member of the stake presidency to instruct this room and to, and to encourage them and to teach them about the principle of home teaching and to encourage them to get their home teaching numbers up. 
And that's where he left it. But that's the kind of people that get uh, moved to the Promoted. top. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us who go like, I want to be a decent human being and I don't want to be a dick. You get to stay at the ward level or lower or at least generally. throw in that line that this lesson is just as much for me as it is for any no, of you. No, this guy, if you would have been in the room, you would have gone, he's got to be amazing at home teaching. And I'm looking, I mean, I had my reports right with me and I showed it to my first counselor like, like during the thing. He hadn't done home teaching in years, years. It's that bad. Yeah. Yeah, well, part of the job description to be a leader in the church is hypocrisy. Yeah. Speaking of... The other thought I had about Gong when he's talking about the the proper way we should be ministering and, and being real friends with each other um, and the examples he gives. He doesn't give an example like how he treated his son uh, when they were out to dinner and his son took a picture uh, with yep. him and his partner because he's gay. And then he was asked, please don't put that on social media so it won't give people the wrong idea that, that you know, I support you as my son. Um, yeah. That doesn't oh. come up. So I just really wonder if his son was listening to this talk. And I, if, if I was Gong's kid and he had treated me that way, I, I, my eyes would just be rolling in the back of my head for all of this instruction on how to, to nicely treat people. But I guess maybe he just means straight people. So anyway. I guess so. Well, unfortunately, Elder Gong, I, I, I never really thought much about him before. Because He's a Rhodes he, Scholar. Is he really? Yeah. Okay, well, that impresses me less now than it used to. But uh, there's a lot of things that were said in general conference. I don't think we're going to be able to deal with his uh, the story he told about um, what's a what's a pretty girl like you doing in a swimsuit like this. Oh man! But Maven, since we've got you here, <laughs> that was gross. Since we've got you here, could you tell us what your thoughts are on it? Yes, I have a couple. <laughs> I'll try to tell us brief. the real story so, first. Okay, well. Tell it like recap the story. Yeah, like he told it. The the way he tells it is that there's this teenage boy on the beach, and more boring, please. More boring. Yeah, if you're gonna be like Elder okay. Kong. No, and and he's just surrounded by uh, women who are just all sluts and whores, right? They're they're all just practically naked, and then he sees this beautiful girl coming down the beach, and she's hot too, right? She's 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 hot, but. She's wearing a modest swimsuit, which covers everything that all the other girls are covering, but also her stomach. So it's really her stomach that's covered oh, up so now. It's really, really going to be any different from anyone else. And he is just astounded and confused. And it's just messing up his poor teenage boy brain because he's like, how is this possible? How is a hot girl wearing a one piece suit? I'm so confused. I must go and ask her. So he does. He goes up and he basically says, what is a nice girl like you doing in a swimsuit like that? Basically. And then she... uh her answer is, you know, let me invite you to church and then you can learn the proper way to objectify me uh, as basically a secondhand <laughs> citizen, a servant to men and a baby maker. With oh no eternal gosh. narrative yeah. for your salvation. That's that's my recap. And that's what just astounded me. And I've had some people say like, no, no, women get objectified for substance all the time. But, and that's true. Absolutely. That's true. It's really, really common. Leaders have said some really creepy things to young women at pool parties and things like that, you know, so, but that's not, that's not what this story is. That's not what got me as so weird and crazy. We're just talking a nevermo, the non-Mormon teenage boy, just 
being so confused and just having it such a rare thing that a hot girl is in a, a one-piece bathing suit that he is just compelled to ask her why are you this way and that's the opening as a missionary opportunity that's what just makes the story so crazy and just ridiculous to me i just i don't believe it and because either because there's either two things going on either like all the all the girls are in bikinis and there's not a one piece to be found except for her um or it's the thing is that she's hot so yeah yeah maybe like the older women the women who've had children or whatever like you know those ones that are ugly that i'm not interested in because they're not hot you know yeah of course they'll be in a one the, a one piece suit that makes sense to me but not her she's she's gorgeous why is she in this old lady swimsuit like that's kind of how it's put together but like i don't know i i feel like he's not been to the beach in a while and he's not seen an array of just normal people wearing all kinds of swimsuits and a lot of people are uncomfortable with their bodies whether or not they are hot you know to teenage boys so there's a there's a variety you know i i don't know it just it was crazy. It was crazy and very well, objectifying and, and awful. I was going to say east is east and west is west and ever the twain shall meet. So there's an illustration of it. What the kid didn't realize is it was actually Annette Funicello. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I amused I've myself with no one else. I've got Dick up, though. I, I've got the, the Oh, that's right, because now we get to the Sunday morning session. By the way. Did you want to say anything else about the the hot chick in the one piece, Bill? No, I just think it's anytime a general authority is talking about hot teenage girls in swimsuits, I think they should just tell a different story. Yes. Uh, yeah, probably. But I like Maven's yes. take on it. That was great. Yeah, thanks, Maven. All right. Here's here's BH Roberts. Oh, Sunday morning, Sunday morning. Okay, yeah. so I'm watching this live, right? I'm all excited about Sunday morning because it occurs to me about halfway you, you through. You chose to watch all of conference, and you're going to tell us you were excited? No, it was only moral agency. I had no choice but to watch it. Thank you so much, David Bednar. I had to watch it because of that damn moral agency of his. Yeah. The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> Praise be. How many movies and TV shows can I get into the, the show tonight, including Shakespearean plays? By the way, extra credit for anybody in the comment section who knows where that first Shakespeare line about Jan Cassius has a lean and hungry look. Such men are dangerous. Where that play is from. But Sunday morning, it suddenly occurs to me, like the dew distilling from the heaven and the Holy Ghost testifying to me, that what's going on Sunday morning, They have, there's two messages going on. There's the, the message on the surface, but then just below, there's this other message. Sunday morning session of General Conference, I am convinced, was the church's official response to the SEC scandal. And the reason I say this is because we had the three top players in that conference session. By the way, first off, Sunday morning session, most watched, bar none. They know this, okay? So they're putting their main message, they're putting their eggs in this basket on Sunday morning, even though it's only Palm Sunday, and Easter's actually the week after Palm Sunday. By the way, did anybody realize it was Palm Sunday last Sunday? <laughs> it's the newest this, Mormon holiday. This is going to be like a running gag. Did anybody know that Uchtdorf used to fly planes? Was, is he a pilot? He, is he still in the Quorum of the Twelve? Because I know he was yes. not the First Presidency anymore. All right. Was President Just Nelson a surgeon? Yes. Fortunately, he didn't get gangrene from the scalpel, but we're not even talking about that today. Okay. So what are we <laughs> talking about today? B.H. Roberts. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Is... 
<laughs> We've got uh, D. Todd Christofferson, known by President Iring as R. Todd Christofferson. But D. Todd Christofferson gets up there and he gives the same exact oh, no. talk as the guy in the middle who's also an apostle, Suarez, Ulysses Suarez, gives the same talk as D. Todd Christofferson, only with, you know, the accent. And then you get to the end of it, and now President Nelson comes out of hibernation. He has been present for all the sessions. I'm pretty sure the, the, the Saturday evening session as well, but he's been present for the other sessions. He has not spoken once, uncharacteristically, to the yeah. point where I'm actually thinking, is he sick? Can he I not speak? Yeah. What's going on? Because he's all over this, like white on rice when it comes to general conference. It's like he wants to insert himself somewhere in every general session. So I was surprised pleasantly when he was announced to be the final speaker of the Sunday morning session. And he got up and he gave the exact same damn talk that uh, was given by D. Todd, Christofferson and Elder Suarez. And so when you got your three major players in one session, the Sunday morning session, you got President Nelson coming out of retirement to give this talk. I let's just say my spidey sense goes off. They're trying to make a point. Let's put it that way. And the point is. We need can't we all just get along? That is the thumbnail sketch of all three of these talks, although they went on and on and on. If you put the 15 minutes and the 15 minutes and the 15 minutes together, of these talks, that's 45 minutes of can't we all just get along? And don't judge others and don't criticize others and don't use harsh language to others and don't be contentious with others because contention is of the devil and you don't want to be on the devil's side. You want to be on Jesus' side, which is you don't make waves and you don't say things that are not nice. What and is financial fraud? I'm sorry. You said contentions of the devil. What's financial fraud? It depends on who's doing it. Oh, Okay. <laughs> okay. Mr. Real, yeah, if you're you touching the, the church's tithing money, then absolutely oh. they're going to get disciplinary court yeah. mandatory. Stealing from yes. the government or filing Fast reports track. to hide money from members, not a problem. Oh, I tell you what. Before we get here, uh, I just want to did do to lay that that foundation that we get the three most bland talks about the same thing, and I can't help but think: Are they talking only to us in our interactions with other okay. members, or is there a hint here? of talking to us about our interactions with them. They can't come out and say, quit criticizing us. Well, th they have their lackeys go out and do that. See Mr. Haney, okay? But when it comes to the apostles, now they're just gonna talk about how you deal with each other. And there were a couple of things that really gave it away. But before we get to it, before we get to it, can we go back to Saturday morning, uh, Saturday afternoon session? When we have the poor guy from the accounting firm with the church who oh, drew the short straw, he drew the short straw and he had to come up and read the letter saying everything's great with the accounting in the church. Weeks after the explosion of the SEC ruling and finding the church, well, $5 million. Technically, it was a portion the church, $1 million, EPA, four. But, you know, it's the church, right? It's all coming out of the church's pocketbook. So they got fined $5 million because it was found that they lied on their filings with the federal government, the SEC, part of the federal government, for uh, around 20 years in order to hide the fact from the members and the world, but also the members, that they had as much money as they had in the stock market because they didn't want the members to stop paying tithing when they knew how much money the church had. It wasn't so in that context, 
I'm sorry, what, Bill? Brooke P. Hales did this for years and years and years. I've never seen this guy before. They threw this no. guy to the wolves this to guy, look everybody in the eyes. It's like, okay, this. what are we going to do with this? Okay, we've got to say something because we always say it. They'll notice if we don't say it. We've got to say it. Should we add some words to it to take accountability? No, we're not going to do that. So let's just have the new kid on the block. You know, uh, we're going to do the straw, the broke, the straw thing, right? Okay, pick a straw, pick a straw, pick a straw. And then they force the short one on him. So he picks the short straw and he has to go out there. He looks like he is asking for a blindfold and a cigarette. He is sweating absolute bullets because he knows this is total bullcaca, what he is saying. And he knows that he's going to say, we audited everything. Everything's peachy keen and everything's wonderful in spite of the fact that the world just found out that to say that as an accounting person is an absolute lie. So do we have the tape on that now that we've gone ahead yeah. and... We have introduced it to the first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, dear brethren, directed by revelation, as recorded in section 120 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Council on the Disposition of the Tithes, composed of the first presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and the presiding bishopric authorizes the expenditure of church funds. Church entities disperse funds in accordance with approved budgets, policies, policies, and procedures. Church auditing, which consists of credentialed professionals and is independent of all other church departments and entities, has responsibility to perform audits for the purpose of providing reasonable assurance regarding contributions received, expenditures made, and safeguarding of church assets. Based upon audits performed, Church auditing is of the opinion that in all material respects, contributions received, expenditures made, and assets of the Church for the year 2022 have been recorded and administered in accordance with Church-approved budgets, accounting practices, and policies. The Church follows the practices taught to its members of living within a budget, avoiding debt, and saving and defrauding the, the federal government. Respectfully submitted. Church Auditing Department, Jared B. Larson, Managing Director. What they yeah, said he's totally essentially. Whipped. What they've said essentially is this isn't this means nothing. When I was a member of the church 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I would see that guy stand up. Usually it was Brooke P. Hales, but I see that guy stand up and I'd go, My church is in good hands. There's this separate department. They have checks and balances, they make sure everything's done right. What they have done by doing business as usual in the midst of the SEC report is they've said this part of what we do is me. It's like, it's like raising your hand in, in a vote of opposition. It means nothing anymore. It means nothing for 20 years. Brooke P Hales and everybody else before and after him were just bullshitting you. You've just been lied to every year by the separate department as a church auditing department. Again, they're not separate because if they were separate, they would speak their mind and say, these guys are doing bullshit things behind the scenes. It's obvious that while they are said to be separate, they're actually lackeys for the top 15. Yeah. What they're omitting from that statement is we're separate from every other department in the church, except for the first presidency. presidency. Yeah. Right. And I'm then, sorry, Maven, go ahead. No. So to, to go back to the, the plaque you have, Bill. So previously, all of the other members of the quorum have been outside of the loop on this. 
So they have, yeah, it's, it's hard to see on the screen, but plausible, right. oh, there we go, plausible deniability. So they could like, you know, like support that or sustain, like in the sustaining, when they sustained the first presidency, they didn't know. And so what makes it different this year is like that it's been blown out of the water and yet they still sustain the first presidency knowing that they know now, if they didn't know before, they for sure know now that that auditing report is bullshit and yet they're still there. So they are complicit now if they weren't before, they know now and they're still willing to to back it up. So now all of them are in the same boat as far as integrity goes in my mind. And he specifically limited, limits it to 2022 where I think he can say it with a straight <laughs> face. The problem is the SEC order, which says, and the church agreed to these facts as I understand it, that two times in 2007 and 2014, this very same church auditing committee did an audit of the EPA, looked at the forms they were filing and told them that they did not think that the federal government would take as sanguine an approach to what they were doing as they seem to, in other words, knock it off. This isn't the right thing to do. And in both of those years, in the conference immediately following, you had the chief director of the same auditing commission getting up in front of the church and telling them the same bull crap. They knew perfectly well that they were defrauding the federal government and filing false forms with them because we know that in those two years, minimum. And they went up and said it anyway. These guys have no credibility with me. And I don't think they should have any credibility with anyone when they get up and say things like this. I'm putting up a comment. Is anyone remembering the church defrauding Canada and Australia? Because that's the beauty of what different countries and different laws is that there's it, some have a bit more transparency. Um, and the thing with Australia, I think it's a different issue with Canada, but with Australia, they changed the tax law to be really favorable to uh, charitable contributions. And all of a sudden, as soon as that law was put in place, the Australian saints just became like 70 times more generous all of a sudden that year. Uh, than the entire membership of, you know, of the rest of the church worldwide. Interesting coincidence. Well, it's the Aussie Mormons. Congratulations. Thank you very yep. much. Most generous Mormons in the whole world. The thunder from down under. <laughs> okay. Are, are we ready for B.H. Roberts we are, now? We're almost ready for B.H. Roberts. Because oh, okay. We're going almost. back now to the Sunday morning session. Now that we can see how the church is responding to the SEC story, which is, I would say, defiance. Yeah, not you would not mentioning it. I'm sorry, what, you would, Bill? You would expect contrition, and you're getting the opposite, which is, fuck you guys. Yeah. It's your fault. I mean, They didn't do a talk on, on tithing, though, so they, they have some level of shame, I guess, not to have done that. I was really expecting a tithing talk. <laughs> if Boyke Packer were alive, you know who he, who he would have told he had to talk about tithing, right? Uh, yeah, Elder hey, Kirk. Carl Cook, this is Boyd K. Packer. I want you to do this, Bill, <laughs> and I'm calling you from six feet under, but... It's conference time, and I'm going to tell you what to talk about now. It's going to be tithing. You go out there and you sell tithing to those people. And he'll okay? have the same look on his face as the auditor. Just <laughs> be like, <laughs> but he would do it. He would do it. So I've talked about the three talks in the Sunday morning session. Here's a huge giveaway as to what's going on because out of the myriad of talks, I mean, here's D Todd Christopherson talking about being one, unified, and everything. And now he comes up with a story from the archives of church history. I'm not sure if somebody got this for him. He says, here, 
give me a talk. I need a story from church history about the first presidency screwing somebody over and they had to suck it up and admit that it was their fault and not the fault of the first presidency. And my former, you know, missionary companion, Kyle McKay, who's now the director of the church historian's office, gets that call and says, here's a story about B.H. Roberts. And so in the middle of this talk at the beginning of the Sunday morning session, D. Todd Christofferson tells this story about our hero, B.H. Roberts. Should we get just the briefest intro about behavior? No, I'll just I'll just play it. Here we go. By putting on Christ, it becomes possible either to resolve or to lay aside differences, disagreements, and disputes. A rather dramatic example of overcoming division is found in our church history. Elder Brigham Henry Roberts, commonly known as B.H. Roberts, born in England in 1857 served as a member of the First Council of the Seventy, what we refer to today as the Presidency of the Seventy. Elder Roberts was an able and tireless defender of the restored gospel and of the Church in some of its most difficult times. And see what happened to him. In 1895, however, Elder Roberts' service in the Church was put in jeopardy by contention. Caused by the First Presidency. B.H. had been appointed as a delegate to the convention that drafted a constitution for Utah when it became a state. Afterward, he decided to become a candidate for the United States Congress, but did not notify or seek permission from the First Presidency. Things were a little different then. Or were they? President Joseph F. Smith, a counselor in the First Presidency, censured B.H. for that failure in a general priesthood meeting. Elder Roberts lost the election and felt his defeat was due in large part to President Smith's statements. Yep. He was Thanks. critical. Of yeah, feelings. It, it was a feeling, not fact. Church leaders in some political speeches and interviews, he withdrew from active church service. In a lengthy meeting in the Salt Lake Temple with members of the First Presidency and Council of the Twelve, B.H. remained adamant in justifying himself. Later, President Wilford Woodruff gave Elder Roberts three weeks to reconsider his position. If he remained unrepentant, they would release him from the Seventy. In a subsequent private meeting with Apostles Heber J. Grant and Francis Lyman, B.H. was initially unyielding, but love and the Holy Spirit ultimately prevailed. Tears came to his eyes. The two Apostles were able to respond to certain perceived slights and offenses that troubled B.H., and they left with a heartfelt plea for reconciliation. The next morning after lengthy prayer, Elder Roberts sent a note to Elders Grant and Lyman that he was prepared to reunite with his brethren. When he later met with the First Presidency, Elder Roberts said, I went to the Lord and received light and instruction through His Spirit to submit to the authority of God. Motivated by his love of God, B. H. Roberts remained a faithful and an able Church leader to the end of his life. Sort of. Okay. What are your thoughts, Maven? <laughs> I had a Does lot. Does it sound at all so, like the story about Boyd K. Packer and Carl Cook? I mean, kind of, yeah. Um, and I want to just bring up this comment. Um, uh, Shannon Caldwell-Montez was brought up because she did a thesis paper on B.H. Roberts in the 1920s. Secret meetings of 1922. 
yeah, this is way. It says it right there. Th- what this story is happening way before this, and I do. I, I she was so lovely. She actually um, uh, spent some time talking with me today uh, about what uh, what she knows about B. H. Roberts, and she did find where Christopherson likely got the story from, but I didn't have time to try to go through it before the show. But um, at this point, we're talking. This is eighteen ninety five. Utah has just finally become a state. Uh, basically, all members of the church were one political party, and they basically just kind of like cut down the middle because they they couldn't be all one party. Um, and so, yeah, they, from what I've heard, it was literally like you guys. This half of the room is Republicans now, and this half of the room is Democrat. This is how they did it. Um, but anyway, um, this it's it's all very tenuous. There's still a lot of like angst and ire between members of the church and the government um but yeah like let's be honest everyone in the government basically with any kind of a position at all in utah is a member of the church and they the higher the leadership you know how it goes this is how it goes this is how things are run but they have to at least pretend to be democratic in their processes and they're trying to do a lot to pretend that they are. So for B.H. Roberts, because he was one of the few Democrats um, in among the leadership. Oh, another thing Shannon told me was that the the presidency the, the, of the 70 was equal in authority at the time to the quorum of the 12. And it was actually shortly after this that, that basically there's kind of a, a jostling, a jockeying for power between these two groups and the apostles, the quorum of the 12 wins out over. But at the time, even though B.H. Roberts is not an apostle, he is the same level and possibly because they traveled more, even more well-known and more popular than some of the apostles sitting in Salt Lake. RFM, did you want to add something? No, just very. And in, in other words, back then they were trying to follow the doctrine and covenants. Yes. <laughs> well, it, which version, more. I guess. Than they are now. Know, right. Yeah. So so that's why like for for B.H. Roberts to be complaining was something that potentially could jeopardize the fresh statehood they just achieved. So it, it just was a big snafu altogether. All but my thoughts on this story was just the sheer audacity of it. It's just how the church works. And I'll be briefer than I was with you. I was telling RFM about this story. Everyone should look it up of Dahlia DiPolito, a woman who tried to hire a hitman to kill her husband. And unfortunately for her, the guy she ends up hiring was an undercover cop. There's tons of footage, but this this woman has a ton of audacity. And and besides the whole wild ride of everything that gets filmed, because they go the whole nine yards and they stage it, they... They, they get him out of the house. They they set up the yellow tape and everything. So when she comes home from the gym, they tell her her husband's dead, all that stuff. He's not. He's at the station watching the video footage of her trying to hire somebody to kill him. He's getting all of this, right? She calls him that day, all right? When she gets booked, she gets arrested. She's put in jail. She calls her husband, the man she tried to have murdered, to cry and beg and plead for his help to get an attorney, for the charges of trying to kill him. And she, he keeps telling her like, I can't help you. I can't help you. And she gets so pissed. She's, she's like, you're not even trying. These are the kinds of things she says. It's wild. You've got to check out that call. I didn't yes, do it. I would never woman, try and kill you. I love you. I would never do that. He's like, I I saw the footage. She's just like, how can you believe that? Like, how can you believe that? It's, it is wild. Like the level of gaslighting is not like anything I've seen outside of the church. But anyway. So, um, how do you see that? Yeah. 
How do you see so, that as having the, any connection whatsoever so with the, the B.H. Roberts with story? B.H. Roberts is basically the first presidency over a perceived slight, I would call it, of just not asking permission to run for an office because they have their Republican guy that they kind of want to back. B.H. Roberts is the Democrat, and he's the one that gets cut down publicly. So again, in the church, obviously, he is going to lose. He's been cut down by higher leadership. Everyone knows who to follow. So they do this. So yeah, so so they ruin things for him. They throw him under the bus and then just back it over him a couple more times just to make sure he's learned his <laughs> lesson, right? And then when he's mad about it, and he's talking about what they are actually doing, they have the gall to be like, how dare you? How dare you be mad? How dare you say exactly what you're doing, like what we're doing and what we did to you? Um, you owe us an apology. And you know what? When you're ready to repent and, and come and say you're sorry for what you've done, uh, we'll be here. Except you've yeah. got three weeks. You've got three <laughs> weeks to decide you've whether you want to marry me. We will release you from the seven. Yes, exactly. Or you're, you're going to lose your position. And then they made him sign this, this this document after, which I did find. It was tough to find. I, I'll have to give it to you, Bill, so you could put it in the show notes. It's I'd really long. But yeah, they make him sign it. And this was also like not part of the story. Um, he was holding out for a while, but he eventually caves. There's another apostle who also, for the same reason as B.H. Um, Roberts doesn't want to sign it, feels like it's infringing on their civil liberties to, to sign this document. Um, he, the, the apostle doesn't do it, and he gets released. B.H. Robert caves at the last minute, and he's able Moses to keep Thatcher. his position. Yeah. Moses so, yeah. So just to like, and I, so if I were to summarize this document, it it's just very much a, um, we absolutely would never do this from the very beginning of the church. We've always cared very much about a firm separation between church and state. That's been our doctrine. We would never dream of wanting to control the politics here in Utah or use our position of influence in the church to also control the government. That's never even crossed our mind. And that now that it has, we just don't even have a desire for it. So we just want to make sure like everybody understands, right, that this is absolutely not how we're operating things here. We really care. Uh, we're not infringing on civil liberties or whoever's running for office. It's It was just a little misunderstanding. It's all been worked out now. It was a heat of the moment thing. Feelings were hurt and, and we were misrepresented, but it's all fine now. Bill, Please I a question let us for keep you. our state <laughs> federal government. <laughs> thank anyways, you so yeah. much for that great treatise there, Maven. That was wonderful. And thank you for calling um, Shannon. <laughs> Shannon. Yeah. yeah, Shan, I've talked to her a few times. It's been a while. I hope she's doing well. Bill, do you see any relationship? I mean, why is it you think that D. Todd Christopherson is bringing up this unusual and not often heard story about B.H. Roberts in the first talk in Sunday morning general conference when actually he's talking about, hey, everybody, let's all get along and not criticize each other? It, so let me say first, it reminds me of the Swedish rescue. If you remember the Swedish rescue, uh, Hans Matson was able to get uh, the church historian, I think Marlon Jensen, maybe at the time. And Richard Turley. Richard Turley to come out. And and then there was also a member of the 12, I thought at some point, who came out, who had a bag. Remember, he had a bag, and he said he had the answers to the questions. You're thinking about Elton Perry, but that wasn't during the Swedish rescue. Okay. But I will say this. When the Swedish rescue was over, Hans Matson recalls that everybody was told, you you can either get over this or get out. And you've got you got whatever time it was. They gave him a time period. Said you got two weeks, and you can. You know what? I'm sorry we don't have all the answers you want. I'm sorry you're frustrated that the church isn't what we told you it was. 
but you can either get in line and stay members of the church or you can get they out. They never said the I'm sorry part. No, 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 of course. No, we don't You're apologize. making that up now. Yeah, I am. I'm embellishing <laughs> You're acting story. like a reasonable person. <laughs> but they did. They gave them a time period and said, you know, get yourself in line or go ahead and get out of here. Um, these guys don't care about being assholes and making you pay the price. This story of B.H. Roberts, and I don't know, if, was there something I said this morning that you're wanting to me to say in terms of something I brought up? No, I'm just trying to rope you into the conversation because I feel like Maven and oh, I have been dominating. That's okay. I, I would simply say that when I hear what D. Todd Christofferson is saying about B.H. Roberts, it becomes crystal clear that he is telling the members of the church, no matter what we do to you, no matter how we screw you, no matter how unethical we are, no matter how dishonest we are, he used the word division in the church. I get the impression they sense there's division in the church, but the division isn't members with each other. It's that all of us collectively, and I say all of us because I'm out, but I still watch this thing from, from the outside. All of us who at one time or another were both feet into this thing are watching the church in real time look, um, show its cards in a way that I've never seen as a believing member. And I think even believers are now seeing it. The SEC uh, fiasco, all the changes with the temple, um, uh, President Nelson dedicating, you know, 312 temples and three have been dedicated, like 312 have been announced or something and mm. three have been dedicated. They're big, the doctrine's changing all the time. Uh, now comic books are more valuable than than the words of prophets. Uh you're seeing all these things happen in the last 10 years. And I'll say it probably starts just before the essays come out, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and you go from that time period, 2010 to now. Swedish Rescue, 2010, 2013, and, first essay comes out. Yeah. And the church has changed in the last 13 years, 15 years, 13 years, more than, I'm saying, I'm saying that wrong, 23 years. It's changed more in that time period than the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Oh, you're right. It you're is... right. 13 years. Okay. Just sorry. I was thinking 2010, okay. 22. Um, it's changed so drastically that I think members are getting dizzy watching all of this. And they are for the first time in their life having to confront that their church leaders aren't the good people they were taught they were. I mean, I pay attention to this stuff and I can't. Just list off for you all the changes that President Nelson has made in five years. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. By the way, speaking of I, President Nelson, oh, Maven, did you have something you wanted to add? Oh, I was going to say, I, I thought of you a lot, Bill, uh, uh, going over this part, because I feel like you got the B.H. Roberts treatment. Um, oh. You got excommunicated for the truth that you were telling about yeah. somebody higher up in authority than you. Elder Holland's a liar. So, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, and, and, and you were... Your the audio from your court of love, right? It wasn't being called that anyway, but you, I think what was so brilliant about how you handled it was just how doggedly you basically made them agree with you that there was nothing dishonest uh, about what you had said about Holland. I didn't one of them admit that it does appear that Holland was lying, but like, you're still the one in yeah. trouble anyway. It's, if you haven't listened to it, Bill really gets them to see, but they they still do, they still do what they're told to do. And and Bill, that's how you lost your membership in the church. Uh, and, and that's just how the truth truth is not determined by what reality is. 
it's determined by whoever's like whoever's got the trump card whoever's got the highest amount of hierarchy and authority that's who can determine what truth is that's why elder oaks with all of the evidence out there about the gay witch hunt he did or that was under his tenure at byu and the electroshock therapy and all that he can say he can literally say that did not happen that ended before i got there and that becomes the reality for members of the church. And even when it's proven, we've got documents with his signature on it, um, he can still be like, oh, I forgot. And that's nope. good enough too. Except he didn't even say, I forgot. He said, I'm not gonna change what I said. I'm Basically, not gonna correct I, I the I thought record. there was something about like, I don't, you know, I, I, but yeah, it's just, it's he doesn't have to even admit it happened at all. And yeah. the members the, of the church are fine with that. So the anyway, beginning of I just the disciplinary. Like, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just saying, yeah, Bill, you go ahead. The beginning of the disciplinary court, the stake president told the everyone in the room, the 12, the 12 high councilmen, it was actually 11, and my bishop. My bishop filled in for one of the councilmen who couldn't be there. So the 11 high councilmen, my bishop, uh, the stake presidency, and the clerk. And the stake president stands up at the beginning. He says, I just want to be clear here. Bill, Bill's integrity is not in question. That's such a cool thing, right? Like I'm having an excommunication trial. And Bill Rill's integrity is not in question. The other money line was you can't call church leaders a liar even if they lie. The audio is patchy in some places, but it's definitely yeah. worth a listen. And there is a transcript. Yeah. You can just read it or you can read along as you're listening, but the sound is horrible. But the transcript is the words are there. Yeah. And you, today you can't say that the first presidency is complicit in committing fraud on the federal government, even though they did. that's the facts. Yeah. Proof, We're screwing yeah. you. But for the believers who watch this, we got 734 people watching right now. If for the 40 of you who are believing active members of the church, your church lies to you every day. If the leaders are moving their lips, they're lying. Oh, it just went down to 700. But anyway, <laughs> hey, I want to skip. I want to skip Elder Anderson's thing, okay? Because that's a little bit off okay. topic right here. I want to go right to President Nelson, okay? But before okay. that. I, I, I'm going to try my President Nelson impression, okay? Are you ready? I know Bill Real is a great Elder Boyd K. Packer. Okay, I want to try my President Nelson impression. Are you ready? I haven't tried this before. This is the first time, okay? Ready? Okay. <laughs> there you go, Mr. You nailed it. Second. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Thank you. And I can do my, hang on a second. And now for my President Iring impression. <laughs> uh, okay, but seriously, folks, that was the, uh, <laughs> that was the entertainment portion of tonight's show. So if Speaking we of those to, counselors, that's the first clip, right? His noble counselors. Yes, it's like yeah. Shakespeare's The Two Noble Kinsmen. Yeah, so what he's going to do, is that the first one? Yeah, that, that we have. Okay, great. Yeah. Because I, I've never seen this before. But President Nelson is going to get up there and vouch for his his cohorts in crime. Uh, he's going to talk about how noble these guys are. Here's Elder Oaks, <laughs> the consigliere, and you've got President Cryring over there looking twice as goofy as Carl Cook. But he's going to extol them as his noble, wonderful counselors at a time when it sounds like they could use a little shoring up. All right. My two noble counselors, President Oaks and President Iring, are exemplary in the way they express their feelings 
especially when they may differ. They do so with pure love for each other. Neither suggests that, the, that he knows best and therefore must rigorously defend his position. Neither evidences the need to compete with the other because each is filled with charity, the pure love of Christ. Our del deliberations can be guided by the Spirit of the Lord. How I love and honor these two great men. Oh my goodness, that couldn't be more transparent, could it? <laughs> and I, I expect that what he's saying is really that President Eyring, when he was disagreeing with President Oak's suggestion, suggestion to falsify the documents to file with the federal government. He did it with love and he did it with no competition and with the, the pure spirit of Christ. And he just got overruled is all. The, yep. the SEC report says that, and again, like you said, RFM, the word is that the church had to agree to the facts of the case in that report. Um, they signed off on it. The SEC report dictates that the church created dummy companies, shell companies that weren't real, that it didn't handle those companies at all real. It put people in charge that fit certain stereotypes. Their name was difficult to uh, to be more, their name wasn't uh, a, a unique name. It was a general name that other people held. Uh, they had no presence on social media. So people weren't hired by, based on the quality or expertise. Um, there were multiple times that people suggested that, that what they were doing was wrong, but they just pressed ahead anyway. And when you get all said and done with the SEC issue, it becomes crystal clear. Again, the church would like to shift to the fact that they just didn't file some report correctly. But the reality is that the church leaders at the very top had to do very egregious deceptions and dishonest uh, behaviors in order to get all that done. And, and they had the to church, authorize the, it. Mm -hmm. And the churches, and by the way, remember, if you remember right, the whole thing came about because they had a concern that the church members would see the tithing. And so they were the ones who initiated, like, we got to come up with something to do this. And, and so if you're a believer listening, the buck stops with the, with the first presidency for the last 20 years. And your theology as a believing Mormon, your theology dictates that if somebody is immoral to that degree, is dishonest to that degree, is unethical to that degree, they can't possibly have the companionship and gift of the Holy Ghost. And if they don't have the companionship and gift of the Holy Ghost, then certainly they can't speak, speak to Jesus Christ on Thursdays in the Salt Lake Temple, right? And, and so you have to somehow reconcile how your leadership can be so dishonest from Gordon B. Hinckley to the modern moment. And somehow your leader stayed in tune enough with Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, that your church actually was led by revelation for the last two decades. And the reality is that when, you act, when you're willing to deal with that and confront it, you'd have to acknowledge that almost certainly there's no way to reconcile it. And these top leaders were void of the Holy Ghost and hence, whether you believe your church is true in idea or not, it couldn't for the last 20 years have been led by Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And after getting caught with their hand in the cookie jar, excellent point, by the way, their response is this general this conference. Yeah, yeah, this That's their response. Yeah. It's a big 
F you to the members. Yeah. And I feel like Irene kind of like flies under the radar sometimes just because the egregious, <laughs> there's just others that are just way more awful. It's, like obviously It's not as easy to take him seriously. Yeah. I mean, he's literally. Is it a nice way the, to put it? <laughs> yeah. He's the glue sniffing kid that doesn't know how to flatten a water bottle, right? This is. Yeah, he's Carl what, Cook like, in 50 portrayed, years. Right? Yeah. Well, like, but this was his job. This is what he did. This is, this is, Irene is the one that was like put in here to do this kind of thing. And it's kind of why he's been like perpetually in the first presidency for so long. So, yeah, he's not. He's he no knows, go-no. and he was you know, behind you, a lot of it. I, I I'll bet you, you. President yeah. Iring, what if what if it was all an act, and he gets home, and he he takes off that goofy look, and he puts on the, you know, the um, <laughs> I don't know, the the smoking jacket, and leans back with a decanter of sherry, and starts listening to some kind of classical music on the radio, and chuckling. and he never cries, <laughs> he never cries, <laughs> not a tear, goes to funerals and everything, not a tear. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Nelson okay. Oh, oh you? right, right. So, so now, now, as if to give a further tell as to what it is they're doing with these talks. Now, President Nelson is going to address what is quite likely the strongest argument against their criminality, their criminal wrongdoing, by referencing this verse from the New Testament, which is, "Ye cannot serve God and Mammon, for either you will hate the one." and love the other or you'll love the one and hold to the other and we talked about this before how it's amazing how the lds church has brought into sharp focus the wisdom of this part of the new testament which i never really understood before until i saw it in action so thank you first presidency for helping me understand the new testament better not perhaps in the way that you had intended however this whole thing about not uh loving god or loving ma'am and you have to make the choice he is now going to take that and twist it and use it in his favor. You'll see how he uses it. But remember, this is in the context of Satan is the father of contention. And, you know, God hates contention along with the word Mormon. So he doesn't like the contention. Don't be saying any bad things about anybody else and God forbid about us. Okay. But listen to what he does with you cannot serve God and mammon. Those who foster contention are taking a page out of Satan's playbook, whether they realize it or not. No man can serve two masters. We cannot support Satan with our verbal assaults and then think that we can still serve God. Lazy learners and lax disciples will always struggle to muster even a particle How'd that get in there? Well, I have no idea. Brothers and sisters, how we treat each other really matters. I feel like there's been little elves at night coming out to cobble the shoes. At home, at church, at work, at online, really matters. Today, I'm asking us to interact with others in a higher, holier way. That was beautiful. Sorry. Yeah, there's that weird clip from the last conference. I think my hand just slipped probably. It was two years was ago. That. On and a night yeah, just I, like tonight. That he's calling everybody lazy learners and lax disciples. <laughs> and suddenly, right. he's had to come to Jesus uh, moment sometime in the last two years. And now he's saying we shouldn't call other people names. We need to be nice to other people. 
Okay. How we treat other people matters. Lazy alert. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think he actually got through a conference talk without calling anybody a name. But excellent point. The point that I was getting out of this is that, did you see what he did there? By the way, Bill, if I want to rope you back in, I don't mean to catch you off guard. And I know we talked about this earlier. Did you see what he did with you cannot serve two masters? Yeah, I was just looking at the word mammon. So obviously the scripture is you cannot, you cannot, what was, you say? You cannot you serve two masters yep. for you either. You can't serve God and mammon. Yeah. And so the juxtaposition is God and mammon. Yes. Not God and Satan. He switches right. them. But mammon means, and you can see why he switched it. It becomes so obvious the moment your brain goes, what was that supposed to be? Mammon equals material wealth or possessions, especially as having a debasing influence. Um, in other words, if you work on a board of a church and you hide your tithing from the members and file false report, reports of the federal government so that you can make billions and billions of dollars and nobody know it, I would define that as mammon. Yeah, in, in short, what he did was he took the the major criticism that he has heard against them and which really, really sticks him up on the cross for all the world to see. And he changed it so he could use it in his favor and say, it's not God and mammon, it's God and Satan. And if you are engaging in contention, boys and girls, and thinking not so nice thoughts about your first presidency, then you're following Satan. You need to come over here on this side of the line and follow Jesus like we do up here. Doesn't it almost seem like they try to go as far as they can just to see what it would take for people to lose faith and leave? It seems that way. I don't think it's conscious. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like, well, I mean, it's like some people think about Joseph Smith. It's like, well, I got away with this. Can I get away with this? How about this? Keep trying. Let me stick you in your other eye and see if you'll still stay a member. If I tell you, don't criticize me. Mm, Don't say anything bad about me. Smack. Yeah. Yep. And I can play it again without the, the clip in the middle, if you like. Yeah. And I'll try and be quiet. Those who foster contention are taking a page out of Satan's playbook, whether they realize it or not. No man can serve two masters. We cannot support Satan with our verbal assaults and then think that we can still serve God. My dear brothers and sisters, How we treat each other really matters. How we speak to and about others at home, at church, at work, at online really matters. Today I'm asking us to interact with others in a higher, holier way. There's also been talk. I got it. Would you, I got would it. you play the next part? Because it really deserves right after I'm encouraged oh, today to speak to, to treat others in a higher, holier way and how we talk to each other really matters. I really want to hear that from two years ago, too. The clip that I had before? Yes. Oh, is, is it not just push play here nope. and it will continue? Bill would have to, Bill would have to, I think. Okay, well, we'll let everybody remember that. But that is so jarring, that juxtaposition. That's like I said, hypocrisy has got to be in the job description for these guys. When I'm picking on you, it's not a problem to say shitty things. 
But when you catch me doing something and you're hurt and criticizing me, it's time for you to be nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I've heard it said, and I, I agree that there were a lot, this, this talk was maybe deliberately made to have a lot of good quips for when he uh, accepts his, what is it, Mandela, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Muhammad Ali Award. Yeah, the Muhammad <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Muhammad Ali was done a lot of good Bill things. Bill Cosby right. Award, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a very peaceful talk, so uh, lots of content, um, I-, I think, for quips and quotes for any reporting that's going to be done on that acceptance. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure but that's a real. Who award. do we want to go? Do we want to go to Vern next, or or I don't know if we were. Well, to no, I don't any. really. It's getting late, and I will say for the record, I thought Vern Stanfill from that's Sunday afternoon now. So, by the way, let me just recap this, okay? That Sunday morning session. These are the main reasons why it is that I think this is the church's official response to the SEC fiasco. It they didn't mention SEC, believe it or not, but this is it. And this is three talks with all these different kinds of hints in them that everybody just needs to shut the heck up about it and go back to doing what it is that you're told to do, like B.H. Roberts. The matter is closed. The matter is closed. The case is solved. So Vern Stanfield gave a really good talk, I thought, and I would encourage people to go listen to it. I thought, I like this guy. He seems sincere. I don't want to be a complete downer on General Conference. There's also a talk on Saturday night by Elder Natris. I thought it was Mattress at first, but it's Natris. And I thought he gave a good talk. He seemed to be quite sincere, even though his talk was totally interchangeable with everybody else's talk in terms of basicness, what you would expect, nothing surprising. But the way he said it really captivated me. And I thought that was interesting. I've been thinking about it. I don't know why it captivated me. I feel like he was really sincere in what he said, that he really believes. And there's a certain power that comes with that. And maybe I was responding to that. But if that's the case, then I also thought, well, if he believes it, and that's what I'm responding to, then what does that mean about everybody else who says the same stuff and it leaves me cold? Do they not believe it? Are they acting? Are they not sincere? I don't know the answer to those questions. It was just the experience I had. And also file it into the head of, I had two talks yeah. in general conference that I liked, which is two more than I expected. Maven? I had I had the uh, like a similar thought, or I guess the other side of the coin with Elder Oaks. Um, whilst I, I would say hands down, it was also a good talk because he didn't put much in it other than just direct quotes from Jesus, um, from the New Testament mostly, but also a little bit from the Book of Mormon. It was, it just came across as so empty and it just struck me that Elder Oaks is not someone who has any kind of genuine understanding of Christ-like love or charity or, or of any of the teachings he was reading. So it really it came across as interesting as a grocery list. And I think, yeah. it, I think that's why he, he has no connection to the material that, that he was reading. Um, and I know I'm not the only one that felt that way. No, he was phoning it in. He had nothing. I don't know if he was busy in meetings with the SEC or what the heck he's got got going on behind the scenes that has him so busy he can't even be bothered to prepare a talk for general conference when like the 3 million active Mormons that exist out there, maybe 4.5, some of them are paying attention. And he's just going to read all these passages without comment of the sayings of Jesus from different standard works. 
And I really could not believe, first off, I wanted to say, we've all had the experience when we go to church, right? And the, uh, somebody's been assigned to talk about a general conference talk. And so they have their enzyme up there or their Leahona now, and they're got the conference talk in front of them. And they start by saying, well, you know, elder so-and-so gave such a good talk. He said it's so good. I can't say it any better. And so that's their excuse for reading the freaking conference talk, right? Well, I've never seen it happen with an apostle, but I think that's what we saw with Elder Oaks. He's saying, hey, Jesus said it better than I can. So let me just read all these passages of scripture. Boring. Now, there's a few of them that he said that I couldn't believe. Number one being, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? He actually said that. I thought, are, is this an admission on your part? Is this a tacit admission? Are you up there like blinking in Morse code the word torture? You're trying to get this message across, right? Well, I'm receiving it. I understand what you're saying. You are saying, Mia culpa. But I don't think that's really what was going on. I don't think he's that self-aware. Yep. Do we want to do Ahmed? You mean that Ahmed? was the last clip. <laughs> I think it's pronounced yeah. Ahmed. That's how I've heard it every time. It's spelled A-H-M-E-D. And people say Ahmed. But whatever it is, his last name is Corbett. Corbett. This is the, um, the general authority who used to be the second counselor in the Young Men's Presidency when Brad Wilcox was the first, no, vice versa. Brad Wilcox, second counselor, uh, Ahmed Corbett, first counselor. And then that got rearranged because Saturday, Ahmed Corbett gets booted out of there and he's moving on up to the um, 70, which he is now when he speaks on Sunday because it already happened. And Brad Wilcox got moved up from second counselor to the first counselor in the Young Men's Presidency because when you commit a Donnybrook fiasco like Wilcox did a year ago, you get promoted in this church. That's, the, that's yep. the moral of that story. So, but yeah, and when I was listening to this and doing my uh, RFM thing on it, um, I thought that this statement by Brother, now it's Elder, it used to be Brother, now it's Elder, Elder Corbett, would, would be the most controversial statement in all of General Conference. And a lot of people are focusing on Mr. Haney because it's more fun, but I think this is more uh, upsetting to me personally than anything that Brother Haney said. That has the most potential for damage, uh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. that's well put. Thank you. There we go. Parents, if your child struggles with a gospel principle or prophetic teaching, please resist any type of evil speaking or activism toward the church or its leaders. These lesser secular approaches are beneath you and can be lethal to the long-term faithfulness of your child. It speaks so well of you that you would protect or advocate for your precious child or show signs of solidarity with him or her. Bye. But my wife Jane and I know from personal experience that teaching your beloved child why we all desperately need Jesus Christ and how to apply his joyful doctrine is what will strengthen and heal him or her. Okay, to be clear, what he said at the beginning, <laughs> which they get clipped off a bit, was it, to the parents in the church, if you have a child who has a problem with some teaching or doctrine or policy in the church, ahem, ahem, 
then you don't take their side. You don't support them. You support the church against them. And that's why I call this talk the choose your child. No, choose the church over your child was the bumper sticker I took away from what he just said. What were your thoughts about it, Maven? I I really hated that he even used the word like that it, lethal, you know, that supporting your children is lethal to their testimony. Oh my gosh, he did. Whereas people who have not been supportive of their children, um, it's been literally lethal to their life and their testimony. So the kids don't have a testimony and they don't have their kid period at all anymore. There's so many parents who have grave sites to visit instead of happy, healthy, living children who they could have. So this is what irritates me. I, I irritate is an understatement. It's really disgusting, these, this kind of rhetoric that Holland does, that, that Corbett's doing to really, it just, it just ruins so many families. This church already fucks up so many and just tears them apart. Then they could be happy. They could be together. Everything could be fine. And instead there's all this trauma. There's broken up marriages, uh, estranged children from parents. And again, dead children and dead parents too, because there's there's LGBTQ people, men, a lot of times who are trying to make heterosexual marriages work. And when they're outed or when they realize they can't, they're so devastated, they take themselves out. And there's a lot of doctrine supporting that. You'll be fixed. This is the only way to fix you. And so if you're trying to hold on your testimony, this is something David Archuleta talked about as well. Just the idea that maybe I can't be fixed the way I am. And maybe the better option eternally is for me to take myself out of the picture early while I'm still faithful and let God take care of that rather than staying as I am and giving into temptation and actually being happy, but then burning in hell forever, you know, figuratively, because we don't believe in the literal hellfire. But this is what, this is literally what people, members of the church face. So I just, I don't, I don't care if supporting your child is lethal to their testimony. Support your fucking children because you might not, you might not get to keep them. If there's anybody out there who is on the front end of a faith transition, you've, you realize that your church leaders aren't exactly telling the truth and you realize the church history as told in church isn't exactly the real thing. What I would say to this soundbite um, is that the church is constantly trying to sabotage your relationship with your loved ones and it's constantly trying to get you to prioritize it over the people around you. So if you have a child who is showing what you've been raised to think is the spirit of contention, maybe it's just they're really hurt and they're really frustrated about the discrepancy between what they thought this church was supposed to be versus what it is when they examined the historical record and looked deeply into the words of prophet seers and revelators in the past. And so while you're being encouraged to discount and dismiss your kids, while you're being encouraged to discount and dismiss the reality of history outside the church, while you're being encouraged to discount and dismiss science, while you're being encouraged to discount and dismiss uh, the, the truth and, and wisdom and uh, 
historical uh, context of all the things that your leaders and your church do, maybe just pause for a moment, discard what your leaders are telling you just for a moment, and give space for a balanced listening to both sides. And sit still for a moment and ask yourself if the criticisms that your child raises, that science raises, that the historical narrative when examined in the actual historical documents raises, maybe recognize that it's the church that's deceived you while it set itself on a pedestal as the best place to get information and the wisest of counsel. Maybe open yourself up to the fact that the church has been deceptive and dishonest for 200 years, but you were born into it. And so you can't really know what you don't know unless you soften up and make space for the things outside of your church to inform you. Can I add one more thing on top of that, Bill? I I hope this will be also helpful to people. If there is anybody in the chat that's worried about this or is worried about what might happen if they, if they do support their children over the church, um, this is where I think Mormon stories comes in and helps so many people because you get to see actual stories from other parents. And there's a ton of really good interviews where the parents will talk about it. Just recently, Lance and Brandy Hepler talked about this. It, it, it's the main theme of their part two is their relationship with their children since leaving the church. Some of them, which are, are queer and they, they go over it, the whole episode, everything that has improved, how much stronger their relationship is, how much more they love their children. They feel more love for their children since leaving, um, how much more they respect them and their journeys, how much more fun they have together, uh, how much more relaxed and easy it is and how much and how proud they are of their children for the ways that they're making it through in their own life. That's a really good episode to watch if you want to see what the difference is when you love your children over church. But also, um, I want to say the Liang family, um, they almost lost theirs. It just, uh, you call it the spirit or whatever you want, the father, in that it's one of the most heartbreaking stories. But he, he catches his son in the middle of trying to take his life. He was suicidal, um, his gay son was actively in it was in the act of of taking himself out what is him and you know like that was that was kind of the breaking point for them and everything is so much better for them now and unfortunately you know not everyone has been able to do that so a lot of people have lost their their children and you know we're not able to to magically be there in time like this father was but he almost lost his son like he knows just it was this close this close and he wouldn't even have him anymore and they they get to be a family together now outside of the church in a way that they literally could not inside the church so anyway i just wanted to recommend at least those episodes but those are not there's tons of good parent episodes um and so yeah you you can find them there Anyway, I just wanted to say that Corbett is wrong, 100% absolutely wrong. Right. And I uh, totally wonderfully said, and I will tell you, it's not my job. It's not my goal. 
I don't think it's mavens or bills to try and get people to stay in the church or leave the church. We're just here talking about the church, which is with as much uh, accuracy and completeness as we're able to. But Elder Corbett, he's not just wrong. This is harmful. Evil. And that's a nice word for it. This yeah. is harmful, what he has said. And it's under the rubric, the same old threadbare rubric of not criticizing the leaders of the church, right? You don't criticize the leaders of the church, but this is harmful. And Brother Corbett, you should be ashamed of yourself. You know exactly what you're doing. You're very intelligent. You're well-educated. You know exactly what you're doing and what you're playing into. And you should be ashamed of yourself. And if you want to come on this show and talk to us about it, We'll be happy to talk with you about it. We know that members of the Strengthening Church Members Committee monitor the show every week, and hopefully they'll get the message to you that this is an open invitation for you to come on the show and share why it is you thought it was appropriate to give this talk, which is going to encourage children to harm themselves and drive parents away from their children. And if you're going to be on the show, we'll also have Colby Reddish on the show, who wrote a very long post about this very statement that you made, um, Elder Corbett. And I talked with Colby. He had to teach a class tonight, but hopefully he's done with it by now and he's watching and he can call in and share what it was that happened. Because the thing is, is that when you say stuff, it's airy nothing. But as soon as that hits the road and you start actually applying what you said to real life circumstances, that's where the explosions happen. And that's where people get hurt and relationships destroyed and sometimes lives ended, Elder Corbett. So I wanted to ask if anybody who's been looking at the live chat, maybe Bill, have you seen Colby show up? Because I wanted to uh, I put seen his him. call I at the front of the line if he was going to call in so he could share that with us. Mm. So if he does, great. But that's really, we had other things to talk about, but we've been going for better than two hours now. That covers the main things that I wanted to talk about in general conference in a two hour time period. And we do have some okay. calls if we want to go to him. Yeah, some, okay, he is here. They're saying, yeah, Colby's saying in the chat, yes, he can. Great, because he's, he's got a great on the ground right, so what I'm going to do shows how wrong what Elder Corbett said is. I'm going to try to change the settings here. Um, folks, I've already got three calls in the queue. I'm just going to ask folks, if you don't call, let Kobe call in. I'm going to open up the call line to a larger number. And Kobe, you're welcome now to call. Um, and so hopefully we'll hear from him here in just a moment. Uh, in the meantime, do you want to go to one of these? Yes, please. Okay. So first call, I think, is a Brittany. Brittany, are you there? Uh, yeah. Thanks Hi. for Thanks for holding. Glad to have you Hi. on. Look at that. We took a female caller this time, RFM. I'm, I'm really glad ah, that Brittany called it. What's that, Britt? Well, thank you. I'm really glad I called. I'm really glad I called in as well. Um, oh, I have been listening Brit. to your show for a couple months now, and keep hearing how there's no female callers. So I had to put my voice in here. Look at that! You are first in the queue. What can um, we? What can we? Uh, what would you like to share? Well, so this was my first conference after transitioning out of the church, and um, uh, uh, this is my first time listening to it with a more critical ear. And I am um, uh, in a mixed faith marriage, and my husband is atheist, uh, has always been atheist. And 
for 20 years. We've been married, and I've been a both feet in Mormon, temple going, garment wearing, all all of those things. And um, this was. I'm also an emergency department nurse, and I kept having to state anytime the church came out with a message, I would say, well, that's not the Jesus I believe in, because as a nurse, I'm here to relieve suffering, and I see addiction, and I see suicide attempts, and I see all, I purposely work in uh, lower socioeconomic ERs, so I can help as many as I can, and my purpose has always been to further the healing, uh, the healing mission of Christ through my actions. And it got to the point in the church where the Christ that they taught of is not the Christ that I believed in because their Christ was very divisive and their Christ and their teachings and their church. The gospel just drove people away and ruined families and caused loneliness and suicides. And now I am leading a study on how healthcare providers can better care for transgender patients. And leaving the church has changed my perspective in so many ways. So anyway, I'm sorry, related to General Conference, I appreciated Vern Stanfield's talk on how Christ accepts our imperfections and what he said about the conversation between Peter um, and him walking back to the boat, because I believe that. I, I have counseled addicts who have relapsed, and they're in the ER, and they're so ashamed, and, and I always say, I can't tell you how happy I am that you're here and that you're seeking help. It's okay that you made a mistake. That's part of the process. You're here, and we're going to move forward, and that's the Christ that I believe in, and I think that's what um, Bernie Stanfield was trying to put out there. So I just wanted to make that comment. Thank you guys for what you do. Appreciate um, and I, I appreciate all of your, your guys' work. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you so much, Brittany. Yeah, Vern Stanfield, he's Thank the guy. You. At first, I thought he was going to be giving one of these talks about how you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be perfect. But he didn't. He actually didn't. He actually used great examples. And he talks about Jesus coming to Peter and Peter goes down below the surface of the water when he's trying to walk on the water and he pulls enough. He says, Peter, Good job. You got out of the boat. I don't know how he got that past correlation to be complimenting Peter on getting out of the boat when what we've been hearing is a steady diet of stay in the boat, stay in the boat. And now he's got Jesus saying, Peter, good job getting out of the boat. He knows what he's saying. He is being just mildly subversive there in his own little homey, uh, very nice and uh, avuncular way. I think Kobe's on the line. I'm going to double check here. Kobe. Kobe, is that you? Hello. Is, yeah. this, is this Kobe? All right. RFM uh, RFM was saying that you might be wanting to talk with us tonight. I've rolled out the red carpet. Yeah, thanks, RFM. So the talk that you shared or the clip you shared from Ahmad Corbett's talk, I had some thoughts about it. Um RFM, you had asked me if I wanted to read the entirety of this thing. I think it might be too long. No, you if you thought I said that, you must the... have misunderstood me. We had a bad connection. There's no way I want you to read that whole thing. It is very, very long, okay. it's very well worded, but um, it's very long. So if you could just summarize that, the difference that you experience between uh, Ahmed Corbett's advice being taken and utilized by your parents versus your wife's parents. 
because they, they, <laughs> they did different things, right, with different results. So was Ahmed Corbett right? Did, did that work out well? No, uh, Ahmed, Ahmed, I think it's Ahmad. Ahmad Corbett is absolutely wrong. Um, so one of the things I shared in this long Reddit post, people can find it on the Mormon subreddit if they want. Um, it's that when parents are placed in this choice that Corbett is talking about and they make a choice and they choose to either prioritize the church. And I want to be very clear. He's talking about prioritizing the church. If you look at his statement, he says, if your child struggles with gospel principles or prophetic teaching, Please resist any evil speaking or activism against the church. So he's trying now to work his activism towards the church talk into general conference canon, which I find incredibly interesting anyways. But the bottom line is if you're placed in that scenario where you've got to choose who to prioritize, one of the things I shared is that the scripture from Christ, where your treasure is there, where your heart be also really rings true here. Whatever parents choose, if they're put in that scenario, I promise that it will irrevocably change your relationship with your child, either for good or for bad. The bottom line, really, that I shared is that my parents, who lived in our stake when we appeared on Mormon Stories and were speaking out against the church's child sex abuse policies, they made very clear to me through their actions and through their words that they prioritized me and my other siblings as their kids over their relationship with this church. That is something that I clearly and unequivocally know, and it's something that I can never forget. It has made our relationship more authentic, more real, and better. Hmm. My wife's experience has not been the same, and the bottom line is that she knows and can never unknow that her parents were not as willing to prioritize their daughter over the church, and that pain is incredibly real. And as more as Maven talked about, who's just been killing it tonight, by the way, Maven, you've been awesome. That the, the result of that can be absolutely disastrous to get up at that pulpit and to talk about how um, activism against the church is never appropriate. I find it just the height of hypocrisy, dangerous and abhorrent. And he should be ashamed. You're right, RFM. He should be. He knows better. He's a lawyer. He's experienced prejudice in his life, I'm sure, and he should know that he's not able to deliver that message except for and but for activism towards this church. They were never going to change and allow members who were African-American equal rights except for but activism towards this church. And so it just reeks of hypocrisy. And I do promise the parents who are in that scenario, if you don't prioritize your children, they will, it will change your relationship. And the weird thing is my parents continue to go sometimes. It was me knowing that they prioritized me that then allowed me almost like the parable of Solomon and splitting the baby. I was allowed to know that they prioritized me and support them as they continue to attend church. And so that's kind of what I wanted to share. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you very much. I mean, that this is exactly what I'm talking about. This sounds like bad advice to me, but I think to the average believing Mormon, they're going to say, this is great. This is wonderful advice because what I'm going to do is when my kid has a problem, they come out as gay, whatever, and they say, hey, I don't like the way the church is treating gays. Well, you side with the church, not with your kid, right? And I think that when it hits the ground and when you actually start putting this in practice, by the way, let me complete that thought that TBMs are going to think, okay, just side with the church because this is what a general authority said. And so 
through some kind of magic, it's going to make it work, right? It doesn't sound like it's going to work, but if it's a general authority saying it, then it has to work. And then you do it. And then you have a horrible relationship with your kid or God forbid they harm themselves or worse. And then you're sitting there holding the bag and Elder Corbett gets to go along his merry way like some kind of cosmic Billy Burke. Well, he makes it sound like it'll work because he says, like, my wife and I know from personal experience not to do that. So it seems like he knows and he is kind of like without explicitly promising that it'll work out in the end. He's kind of implying that it will. Um, And I do just want to say like uh, the Reddit post on r slash Mormon, it's called the tale of two wayward adult children and Corbett's general conference talk. And I put the link uh, um, uh, in the chat. Oh, that's where you can read the whole thing that Colby read? Yeah, people are asking where it is. Some are trying to search for it. They're saying they can't find it. So I just want to, that's the title of it. If you're going to be searching it, and I've got the link on here as well. Thank you, Colby. If I can just, yeah, if I can just share one little closing idea, it's that, particularly for the TBMs out there who might be listening, it's that if you look at your, you know, and I put wayward in quotes, right, in air quotes, if you look at your wayward children and think, yeah, but they're wrong. The church is true. I think the most important thing of what I'm trying to share here is even if you're right, even if the church is true, your kids will still feel the way that my wife and I feel. They will. And so it will irrevocably change your relationship. And you need to consider the consequences of that before you just automatically side with what Elder Corbett or yeah, Elder Corbett is asking people to do. And I, I really like what you said, RFM, about how he skips along his merry way. It's one of the things that drives me insane about watching these church leaders is they give people advice that can lead to disastrous consequences in their life. And there's no accountability or owning of that ever. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate everything you do. Have a great day. Thank you, Colby. I, I have one more quick thought before we get to the other callers. The the scripture it was even quoted like it's, what does a man gain like if he gains the the whole world if he loses his soul, right? And it's talking about earthly treasures versus heavenly ones, but especially when it comes to children and family, I feel like in the Mormon Church it's almost flipped. Where I want to ask parents like because the whole purpose of the supposed plan of salvation, the supposed plan of happiness, is to be with your family forever. That's our big hook is that you get to be with your family. And so, but so many, but you don't. I just feel like what good is it to to work so hard for this future family in heaven that you're not even going to get when you lose your family here and now, and you can never get that time back. And yeah, a lot of times, especially if they leave the church over it, you don't get them in heaven either. But I think there's still this hope that if I'm just more righteous and I just keep holding on, somehow God will give my children back to me while I am actively undermining the relationship with them now in this precious little time that I have with them now. It's so sad. It's a weird flip. I don't know. My, my brain is making the connection with that verse, but just in kind of a different way. What good is this eternal family when you lose it all here? Mm. Anyway. Great point. And you know, I think that um, there are some situations in life, experiences taught me that there are some situations in life where being right is the least important thing. And I think this is one of them. Yeah. So just a heads up, 
to everybody who is listening that's on the call line. We opened up our call line, which normally is just three calls. We've opened it up to try to get Kobe in, and it actually took me putting seven calls available before he finally got through. There's about seven calls right now in the queue. There's no way we're going to get to all of you. So I'm going to take a few of you. Please don't be have your feelings hurt when we end the show. I'm going to take the two that have been waiting the longest, and then I'm going to pick one or two more that, that based on the description, seem like it would be very fitting, especially as we're talking about the most harmful talk in conference uh Ahmed so uh this I believe is D let's see here if D's on the line whoop um try this again D are you there D you mean Heidi Heidi yep yeah it said hi D I'm calling about Heidi Heidi. Heidi. (laughs) so go ahead I actually got through I've been trying to get through every week for months look at that I know I've been trying I've been trying um Maven, I love you. I just, I love your comments tonight. And I'm like one of your biggest cheerleaders, I think, out here in the world. So. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to say that. Um, so when I was listening to uh, A-Hole Corbin's talk, um, I'm a mom of, out of my four kids, three of them are LGBTQ. Um, I have a son identifies as queer and two identify as Pam. And when I heard his talk, it was like I was watching a Seahawk game, throwing things at the TV, screaming at the TV, flipping the TV off. I was so incensed. I'm still mad. You got to try being a Cleveland Browns fan. Wild up again. (laughs) Oh, I'm so, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm originally from Kent. I'm now in Provo. So I can so. I went to but, junior high yeah, school again. So, uh, I see you laughing But I was so I'm so worked up about his talk. I he how dare he say such crappy rhetoric? How dare he? I two of my kids have already tried to kill themselves. You know, it's really personal to me. And when I hear him saying BS like that from the pulpit. <laughs> I don't know. It just it makes me wish that you know he would just sit down and shut up and be stay sweet and shut up. You know, um, staying is a little lame because he has no right to talk that way. He doesn't. And Maven, I was totally with you on what you said because I think he is out of line. He. I hope that I. I, I can't even. I can't even. And then I can't even with like Brad Wilcox. My brother works with him at BYU. I want to bring, I want to take my brother's neck and wring his neck every time he talks about how what a great guy Brad is. <laughs> you know, Brad yeah. Brad Wilcox came to when I was in when I was in youth growing up. Um, we had like EFY kind of conference weekends, and he he came to a couple of them, and he was such a great guy. And da, 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 da. but now that I know who he really is, I hate him. You know, and that's a strong word I know, but he just he makes things so divisive. Yeah, he does. It's very much us versus them. And he was so helpful when you go back to that, you know, the talk on grace and playing the piano and practice. He was really moving the needle in a way on that topic that the church needed. But now now he seems to have some aspiration yeah. for moving up in the church that he is trying to show those guys that he is a yes man and creating a very divisive 
uh, framing for the way he does his talk. Yeah. It's working. Yeah, I don't understand the way the church is yeah. heading. I don't understand it. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, it seems like it chose a long time ago I mean, to be on that track. That's what I had to say. And it can't get off that track. Mm-hmm. Thank you, mm-hmm. Heidi. That was my comment. I Thank you very much, you guys, for what you do. I appreciate all of you. Have a great hey, day. Heidi, Heidi, did you go you to school could, in yeah. Kent? Yeah. What school did you go to? Um, no, I went to school in Edmonds. I actually grew up in Edmonds. I went to Woodway. Okay, okay. So you're kind of hoity-toity. My ex-husband went to school in Kent. Well, your ex-husband did. <laughs> I know two women who yeah, ex-husbands ex-husband went to school. No, are you are you getting us off track? Pretty good school. There's good books there. Now there's three. Thanks, I have family yeah. out in Sumner. I have family in Sumner. <laughs> Yay, Sumner! My old stomping grounds. Talk to you later. Thank you. Okay, take okay, it bye-bye. easy. Bye bye. I know, right? All right, and then uh, if you're if you're waiting until your child comes out to you to show support for the LGBT community, you're already too late a lot of times, which is true. Sometimes they'll never come out to you. You'll lose them before then. And if they don't know that you'll support them, that's going to be something that's going to they're going to keep inside, especially when we're talking about minors and they have to live under your roof and they don't know that it's safe to be themselves around you or they're in this constant fear of being caught that adds to the the whole issue here so um i think people should just assume that they have a quick hit and and start talking about it you know start saying ahead of time did you love your children they need to know before and and not that it's it's sad that children will have to tell you something about themselves and not know if you're going to still love them not know if they're going to get kicked out of the house you know, not know these things. They should know that. So the younger generation sees the church, what it's doing, and they've already have a disconnect and a loss of trust. So they may come to their parents on an important issue one time and test to see if the parents are going to be church broke, or if they're going to sincerely listen and value what that kid has to say. And if you don't show up in that moment, you may not get another chance. One, you pointed to the self-harm, which is the worst case scenario, but they may just decide like, oh yeah, mom and dad are prioritizing the church. That's where their loyalty is. I know that I can't trust them with anything that I have that is in disagreement with the way the church does things. So they may never listen again. Uh, All right. So Wayfaring has been waiting 33 minutes. Uh, Wayfaring, you're on on the line. Is that the name? Hi, yeah, uh, I go by P Wayfaring Woman in the in the chat for Poor Wayfaring Woman. Um, right. But yeah, I, you know, I could talk about Elder Corbett's talk um, all day. Uh, I'm I'm clear. Uh, kind of recently came out, started um, started dealing with that, and um, even I think that you may have been referencing my comment because I, I really do feel that way. I feel like I have so much to unpack because. Uh, I was raised in the church, and even if I have, um, you know, somewhat understanding parents now, it, there's so much to unpack because I was not, um, I mean, because it wasn't an option uh, growing up. And so, I, I mean, uh, you know, and, and now I'm dealing with people um, who, because of, you know, uh, rhetoric like Elder Corbett, feel like they need to take a stand uh, when my partner and I go to family events, uh, you know, taking a stand and making sure that they're not uh, engaging in. I can't remember what he called it, ATC, anti, or 
activism towards activism. the church. Yes. Um, yeah. So I mean, that, that, this is something this, I could talk right. about all day. That's right. Yeah. So you know, this is something I could talk about all day. Um, I, I also, though, kind of wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on something that's always been interesting to me is the tension um, in the Mormon Church between us. You know, I say us, but obviously, but whatever. Um, us wanting to be a peculiar people and also um, wanting to assimilate with uh, culture generally. We're seeing this. Uh, just in this general conference about emphasizing Palm Sunday, which is something I never, ever, ever celebrated. I think um, I think Jesus rode on a donkey at some point. I'm really not sure what it's all about. Um, you know, we've got uh, that 70 emphasizing listening to modern prophets over previous ones, and I, I cynically think that that's a way that he can kind of that we can kind of erase and sweep under the rug what previous prophets have said, so that they can kind of come in with some more general Christian non-denominational things. Um, and then for the most part, obviously, other than Elder Corbett, um, avoiding covering any controversial topics, like really directly and head on. You know, we didn't get the traditional Oaks anti-LGBTQIA rhetoric that we get every single conference. Um, so I guess what I'm wondering, because what I see, I see this trend. I see the church trying to be more, um, more mainstream. And I'm wondering if you guys have any thoughts on how far the church could go, you know, are we eventually going to see the church uh, shy away from a non-Trinitarian perspective? Like, like how far could this possibly go in the coming decades? Great question. Well, I will tell you, I think it's form over substance. Thank I think you. it's we'll once again, the church wants to appear to the outside world to be more Palm Sunday and less masonry. But once <laughs> you're inside, then it flips, I think. That's kind of what I think. I see a lot of moving the chairs around on the deck of the Titanic, but I don't see really changing course a lot. That's just my perspective. Don't you get the impression, for instance, a good example of that, I think, is the church has this close relationship with the NAACP. And I'm guessing if you sat down with the members of the NAACP to get a feel for what they think the church is in terms of battling racism and changing its ways from what it used to be at 78 and earlier, that would be a very different framing than what a Orthodox member of the church and even maybe a moderate member of the church perceives LDS history and LDS theology to be around those same issues. What do you think, Maven? I agree with you, honestly. It, it does seem uh, it's, it's just useless stuff and it's all, almost all of it is just public it's just all for appearances only um i mean like even the temple changes that they made to try to seem more equal in some ways are actually even worse um you know like eve never spoke after they left the garden now she does but they gave her satan's lines to say right there's always just got to be something worse about it or the covenant now is to i i think about the it's it's eternal marriage right no what what is it the covenant, the line of the, the covenant. Yeah, new changed. and everlasting covenant is. What yeah, new and everlasting covenant, which is polygamy. <laughs> like that's what that is code for. And so they're still like promising to be part of a harem. It's it's actually like if you know what they're talking about, it's even more like explicit, but also more hidden in a weird way. So everything I, I, I especially I think with women, everything they do to try to appear more equal, does actually do, does absolutely nothing to lift women up in the church remotely the so, new and everlasting covenant useless yeah right you know i'm surprised that 
in the endowment, Eve isn't the only one wearing an apron. Yeah. Nothing. Okay. Well, <laughs> Sorry. So I think we got some progress there, yeah. right? Yeah. And there was, it was brought up in the chat too. It's not just queer kids. It's not just LGBTQ kids. There's, you can have a perfect Mormon straight heterosexual kid that struggles with depression or, or struggles with, uh, with other mental illness or just actually cares about the way things are going and, and wants to be an advocate and an ally and disagrees with the church who can also really struggle that you could also lose your relationship with or, or lose them to mental health struggles that are exacerbated by the church and exacerbated by you choosing the church over them. So that was a good point uh, brought up. And then also not dead, but off marriages, mixed orientation marriages, mixed faith marriages, um, that that relationship is also um, a tough one for a lot of people. So, yeah. Yeah, and absolutely right. And Colby's story shows that, yeah, it's horrible in that situation, but not restricted to that situation because his story is they finally got fed up with their stake actively covering up the fact that a bishop had been indicted as a child sex offender and they're covering it up and not wanting people to talk about it or find out if anything bad happened when he was the bishop with other people's children and yeah. so finally they'd had it and they sp they speak up that was their offense and that was um colby's parents not following brother corbett and apparently his wife's parents doing a better job at following brother corbett with the result that now the wife is to that degree estranged from her parents and Colby is to that degree bonded more closely with his parents. Yeah. Okay. So there is, I just, uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, maybe. <laughs> Kelly yeah. Liang, um, who was one of the, the families that I talked about, I think his episode is named, I think it has to do with his work on nuclear submarines. So I think that's the title that you want to go for. Um, so right. he, he came up and say, my youngest watched for a year to see how we accepted his older gay brother before he was able and willing to come out. Now our entire family life is so much more accepting of all people. So, um, uh, thanks Kelly for being in the chat and he also donated too. So yeah. thank you very much. I think he's over in Bremerton, right? I don't know. He's across we'll the sound for me is all. I'm sure he'll answer. <laughs> so okay. we're past nine o'clock. There's a ton of more calls. I'm just going to give people a heads up. There's a lot of you and you've all waited 20 to 30 minutes. We're going to take one more call. And I don't, I just don't want to go another hour. I've got to end here anyway. So is it, is it possible if they've been waiting that long to, to maybe do a two minute mark for their comments and then we won't respond very much? Okay, okay? I'll, we'll zip through. So I'm going to go through and folks could be just super quick, make make a quick point and we'll just move on. I would uh, say nothing. Jake? Don't bring up their high school. Yeah, yep, Jake. Okay, you've got like, I, he, RFM said two minutes. I'd prefer a minute or less, but you you share a, a point that you thought of as we were going over our show tonight. Lightning round. Gotcha. I just want to say I have the same exact Spider-Man shirt. Anyway, um... Yeah, I just observed kind of a kind of a difference between the, the sort of talks you get in conference and the sort of talks you get at like a local fireside and a devotional or an education week where I feel like the ones in conference, you know, it's a much bigger audience. They're a lot more careful. But then you hear these clips from these devotionals and firesides and they're just cringy and awful and so obviously manipulative, like like that BYU-Hawaii talk the other day. Um, just think it's really interesting how, you know, you, you get 
the further into the church you go, you start to hear the real talk. Yeah. Um, I saw that and guy. I a lot of believing members who, yeah. Elder Hatch? A lot of members still don't even know about the musket fire talk. Yeah. So yeah, the talk like the cigarette man from the X-Files. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Where did you right. go to high school? Just kidding. Don't okay, so on the next one is an anonymous caller, which I'm fine taking. The fear, of course, is that you get somebody trying to disrupt the show like we did with James a few weeks ago when we were talking about the SEC. But uh, anonymous caller, you are on the air. Hello? Hi. Um, yeah, it's Santiago. I don't know why my name goes through. Anyway, gotcha. um, this is uh, this question is from Maven. Um, so you express displeasure with like Elder Christopherson's use of feelings instead of facts when he said felt in his talk. Do, do I have that right? Yeah. Making sure. Okay. So my question is, um, the reason why you don't like him saying felt is because it's just like elevation emotion. That you can't like trust and it's subjective. Is that right? No, thank you for asking. So it's more that it, it's an attempt by Christofferson to minimize B.H. Robert, the legitimate complaint that he has. So I, that's one way to do it. Instead of saying, yes, it is a fact that you were called out publicly and everybody hearing that would obviously take that as a sign not to vote for you. Uh, this It's just like, oh, he thought this, he, he felt that. It, it's just trying to minimize and delegitimize uh, what happened to B.H. Roberts and just to try to put it all in his own head uh, that he's just getting offended, basically. Yeah. He also no said it was a perceived slight. Right. Yeah. And when this like was there's no real deliberately slight. done. Okay. Yeah. They okay. they were offended. They retaliated against him deliberately, but it's, it's his fault that he was upset by that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, thank yeah, you, I was wondering, because I, I mean, I've heard everybody say like, feel a lot of times during the episodes. I don't know if it's like. Right. Kind of yeah, no, feelings can be legitimate, but in this context, it's used to, to delegitimize what actually happened Beautiful. to Robert and what he was feeling, but what his feelings were based on reality, the reality of his situation. Brilliant articulation, Maven. Thank you. All right, caller. Thank you so much. That was really a good response. Uh, all right, John. John, you're on. If you could do one minute or less, but I'll I'll keep you to two at, at a max. All right. All right, my friend. Yeah. Um, just when we were talking about B.H. Roberts and the treatment he received for sliding the church and how that mirrored Bill Reel's experience as he was um, pushed out of the church, for better or worse, um, it really has a lot of parallels. This is the organization. This is the church that we all used to belong to, maybe still do. And so my question is, how do we, or how can we interact with our friends and family that go to this organization every six months and are told that acceptance isn't really love and acceptance. It is just your way or the highway. By example, the church teaches that to its members. So then how do we have a relationship with people when the relationship seems poisoned by, by God or by their leaders. It's something I, I struggle a lot with all the time. I'm sure other listeners do as well. Perfect. I'm going to hang up with you and then we'll answer that. Okay. My feeling is that when I get this question, we have to realize this, and this is going to offend some people, but this is the way I see it. Okay. Is that we are more advanced than people who believe that we are more mature. We have grown more 
than those people. And unfortunately, because we are more advanced than they are, it is our obligation to reach them where they are, right? In other words, we're not beyond them. So we get to go nanny, nanny boo boo. And we get to say how stupid you are because you're not as advanced as we are. It becomes our burden to treat them ironically the way Jesus would treat someone and love them in spite of it and try and show them a better way by our actions. That's yeah. my, my answer. And you make a good point, which is if you remember years ago, D. Todd Christofferson gave a talk where he talked about an Amish family that was shunned. And he was, he was basically saying like, that was shitty. The Amish shunned this family. It was horrible. And then the second half of his talk was, if you have anybody in your family that's speaking out against the church, you should shun them. In the same talk, it right. was mind-blowing. And so my point is that, as you point out, RFM, folks who are still in the believing mindset will deeply struggle to see the irony or to see the unhealthiness in the theology that they have been told they have to believe and carry forward. And so as you as you said, we now see that we've seen, we've been in both lives. We've seen through both sets of eyes. It is our responsibility to hold some grounded wisdom as we're having these conversations and to hold a greater capacity of hurt as that's not working the way we want it to. All right, next caller, we've got uh, Jackie. Jackie, you are on the line. Um, what's your thoughts? Hi. Um, first up, Maven, um, let's do some karaoke again pretty soon. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> Hi, Jackie. Um, <laughs> um, I just wanted to say I was hoping that we could make it beyond hope through at least one general, general conference without someone mentioning shunning your child or not treating your person in your family with respect um, because they were part of the LGBTQIA plus community. I've been working with this community. I am a member of this community with my wife as well. We've been together since 1987 and we have two kids and we've been working in this community since the 1990s. And it has gone from the church just dealing with adults and excommunicating them and electric shock therapy and everything to now they are attacking the youth because the kids are coming out younger and younger. And it's just, it's just makes me angry. I was just so angry at Corbett. I, I like the mother that was earlier was throwing things at the, um, at the TV. I was just, when you were playing the, the, um, clip, I was just crying. It makes me so they're traumatizing everyone, but also I want people to understand, I guess my big thing is that it's not just, the parents to the kids, but it's the kids to the parents too. We have to think about the TDM children that see their, their parents who are LGBTQIA, that they have to reverse that theory, right? That, that teaching and apply it to their parents. So um, my wife and I have two adult children who are not in the church either, but if you have true TDM children, they'll look at their parents and they have to apply it. So this church just messes with everyone's head and they just, traumatize everyone and it's been a long time that we've been working in it and it's not getting any better and people are better out than in and it's just high time we all realize that and that's just my thoughts on it and um i just think we just continue to work in it so that's all i have to say tonight Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. Well and, I, and I owe, Jackie, I owe you a conversation that I'm, unfortunately it's been a little bit 
chaotic for me. So I do I do apologize that we haven't been able to connect again since then. But I haven't and forgotten, Maven. and we will do it. <laughs> and Maven, I think you owe our audience a song. Oh no. <laughs> I did karaoke at the end of the night when there were like seven people there. Jackie was one and, and she came up and did it with me. I still couldn't even do it myself. There's only seven so. people still watching. So go ahead. <laughs> no, 734 people is what yeah, I see. Oh, is that it? Oh, I was yeah. reading the likes. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So the very Thank last you, call tonight is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you're our final call. Thanks for calling into Mormonism Live. You're on with Maven, RFM, and myself, Bill Real. Uh, take us home. Hey, guys. Uh, first of all, thanks, RFM, for your Gen Con Digest. Absolutely loved it. Um, my eyes just about rolled to the back of my head when I heard that a temple was being built in Lethbridge, Alberta. I'm calling from Alberta. Um, I had about five different people reach out to me. Um, all with kind of the same idea to plan a um, kind of like a counter protest to the, the temple being built in Lethbridge. So we're planning to stand across the street with a loud ghetto blaster, party music, waving rainbow flags. Like we exist. Our kids have left the church over this. They've made families break apart. Um, I'm really excited about this. So when that temple, if it ever does get built, um, there will be a representation there. So I'm super happy about that. Um, but I also want to say about that temple in Lethbridge, uh, Wendy Watson is from Raymond, Alberta, which is just a couple miles away. And maybe it's a promise that Russell and Nelson made to his second wife to build her a temple. But we'll see if maybe it's fast-tracked so she can see it while she's still alive. <laughs> That's great. It's the Wendy Temple. Elizabeth, can I ask you, since you're on the ground there, does the membership numbers there in Alberta, does that, in your opinion, justify the building of an additional temple in the province? I, and may, maybe I've got uh, this well, wrong. There because are three already. There's three already in yeah. Canada or the province? I think in Canada there's eight or so. Um, but in Alberta, there's three. There's a really high population of, of Mormons in Alberta mm -hmm. um, because they're the one of the places that the polygamists fled to to set up settlements outside of the USA. It's north of um, Idaho, right? But yeah, but north, yeah, north of Idaho and Montana. Yeah. So it, it's a really weird place in southern Alberta. There's a lot of Mormons. Um, at one point, there was a law that Mormons couldn't settle 20 miles outside of Lethbridge. So the really weird populations are about 20 miles outside of Lethbridge still today. Um, the current temple is in Cardston, and that's a population of 4,000. Uh, Lethbridge has a population of about 92,000, and I think there's about 6% Mormon in Lethbridge. Um, so it's like a really weird anomalous place. Um, but yeah, uh, Wendy Watson and Charity used to come up here in, in the early 2000s, um, and they would do speaking sessions. It was before uh, Russell's first wife died. Um, but yeah, it was a big deal that they came up here. So, yeah, I'm getting this picture in my yeah. excuse me. I'm getting this picture in my mind. It's like when you're playing Monopoly, and you've totally got the game won, but all you're doing is collecting money from all the other schmoes who are going to lose the game, and you're just buying hotels mindlessly, even though you don't even need them anymore. Is that what's going on up there in Alberta? Um, for temples, yeah, for sure, for sure. 
And and the, the a really sickening thing about the way the church operates in Canada, like you you can look up online um, on the Canada Revenue Agency to see where the church's money goes, and about seventy percent of it goes straight out of the country to the three BYU, so BYU in Provo, Idaho, and Hawaii. And I, it's totally legal to do this, but it's also super controversial that that money isn't staying in Canada to help the poor and the needy and the people who struggle with LGBTQ, like, to help them. It, it just goes to real estate and goes to pay tuition to American kids. Like, I don't think it's right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that I up, too. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks well, thank for taking you. my call, guys. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks for calling in. All right. Anything else from you guys? No, but I'm sure that it's uh, we're almost three hours in. We got to get out of here before the three hour clock tolls. Let's do it. And I'll just say good night, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. We appreciate you so much. And we'll see you again next week. Same time, same bat channel. Jonathan Streeter, hopefully. Wood Tools. West. Wood tools versus steel tools. Yes. Oh, that's next week. Yes. Okay, great. Jonathan Streeter. I'm looking forward to that. I've missed him. Okay, have a great day, you guys. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Who's Jonathan Streeter again?